Reinholds is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Reinholds Show Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Rhino Show podcast. And today I always say we have an amazing guest. We actually do have an amazing guest. Uh, her name is uh, Rhiannon Rosalind. I didn't butcher that, did I? No. Thank you very much. Uh, we are sitting here at the Economic Club of, 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 is, what you, of, of Canada in Toronto on the infamous Queen Street. I am, I can't help but feel in a great mood. I'm literally sitting on a pink desk. I'm looking at Oprah Winfrey. I'm looking at Rhiannon. And everywhere I turn, I'm seeing some sort of affirmation of creativity, of inclusivity, of just trying to be the best version you are, human 17,000.0. I really want to have Rose, uh, Rhiannon on the show because, um, you know, it's interesting how you find people and you really, really do um, kind of relate to them or, or see the passion or see the drive. And uh, recently, uh, the 44th president of the United States dropped by Toronto and uh, Rhiannon was the one who got to interview him. And I just think, my God, that's like a bucket list top three moment. You know, I mean, the only thing that would compare for me would be the birth of my children. <laughs> that would that would trump that, you know, and, uh, you know, for 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 that to, to go down and, and the way it did. I think is really cool. And what's interesting is, is uh, Rhiannon kind of said, how did you even find me? Like, were you at the event or whatever? I said, no, I'm actually in Edmonton, Alberta at the time. And I seen this, you know, all this stuff going through my Instagram. And I'm like, wow, uh, President Barack Obama's in Canada? I'm like, what's he, what's he doing in Canada? I'm like, interesting. Um, and then I started clicking on the hashtag and I found uh, this amazing uh, firecracker of a woman who's wearing the most amazing epic shoes on stage. Um, interviewing one of the the people that I've, I've admired, you know, forever for a multitude of reasons. And I said, I'm going to be hitting up Toronto and I want to talk to her. I thought personally it would take a lot of kind of cracks. And, I, you know, I just thought, man, you just, you know, interviewed the president. You know, your inbox must be deep. And, you know, Rhiannon kind of got back really quick. So uh, without further ado, she is the founder and CEO. She's also a serial entrepreneur. She's a mother. She's a friend. She's an amazing woman. She's a, a, a tastemaker for change and for growth. And uh, we just really want to welcome you to the show and before we do we have two goals to our show it's one bring value to our listeners and two is always make our guests feel like they're coming home so we want to welcome you home today you know but at that time it was a decision I had to make am I going to pretend that I am coming at this work you know with the same lens as most of the other people in my class right now or am I going to be honest and am I going to use that lived experience I decided to use the lived experience and this is for the listeners I think something that's important to know I took that leap decided to be honest decided to be vulnerable expose my truth Mm. and this is actually how I got my job at the economic club Mm. of Toronto so I was um, presenting my research findings using my personal lived experience and also connecting that to the research we were doing and this was at an event at the university three weeks before graduation and one of the founding board members of the economic club of Toronto was in the audience and he approached me after the event and said wow like you're a fantastic speaker and young person and you seem so passionate about so many issues in the city our CEO is looking for an entry-level event coordinator would you be interested in coming and meeting him and interviewing 
position. Mm. Now, I thought I made it. Like, I don't even, I haven't even gone to the interview. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> but this, this uh, sounds good. like it. Yeah. Like, this is it. I'm going to get a business card on yeah, this like, one. I'm getting a business card. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. I've been like in my mind, like just picturing myself walking down to a job one day and what that would look like. Yeah. And like, you know, an office job. No one in my family worked in that kind of job. You know, all my family were blue collar workers. They'd been working since 16, 15 at the same company. Like it was really, really hard work. I watched hard work happen, but I also watched watched hard work not reap the monetary rewards. It was Mm, like so mm, hard for my mm, family, but the work ethic was there. mm, You know, the work was there. So I always honored, you know, that. I always honored people who were working hard with their hands. And mm, I wanted to work hard with my mind one day, mm, you know, as that next step, as that next iteration of what my family legacy could be Mm. and so I went in and of course I about two weeks later found myself interviewing for this entry-level position now I had applied to do my master's degree and I thought I was going to go right back into school I at the time I wanted to be a writer for not a magazine but a zine and I wanted to do social advocacy Mm. work I wanted Mm. to really you know dip my 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 art and my love for writing into a space where I could be talking about social justice issues and different issues. I end up in this interview and, um, well, I killed it. I got the job. There you um, go. There ent- you go. Entry level job. And I thought I had another decision to make. Am I going to defer my master's degree and take this entry level job and just kind of see where it takes me? Or am I going to say no and go back into school? Obviously, I took the job. And here's where it gets really crazy. My first day on the job, and I'm a big believer in manifestation. I'm a big believer in universal I know you're gonna. Alignment. I know you're going to speak more to that, but the, you brought up a good point. Mm. Did you ever go back? to do the masters? I never did. Okay, perfect. I, I think that's did. great. And yeah. I'll tell you why. We're big, I'm a big proponent on a few things. I'm very passionate about the educational system and the lack of real skills taught, mm-hmm. financial literacy. Mm-hmm. You know, the average adult doesn't even understand how credit card interest works. Oh, yeah. Straight up. Yeah. So why are you teaching me Shakespeare? Like, I don't go out and hustle right now and say, yeah. yo, Shakespeare. Shakespeare's never got me like, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. I don't get, I don't, I don't do neutrons, protrons. I'm not a, I'm not a chemist. I'm yeah. not a chemist. Yeah. And, and I like what you said. You, you chose you chose the do route. Yeah. I'm going to do this job. Yeah. And by doing the job, in my opinion, you get way more uh, experience and real life situations. So for people who are listening, I think that's a key moment in her story is that she didn't go back and do the master's. She actually went to work. I did. And so my first day on the job, um, this is unbelievable. The Economic Club of Toronto was hosting former President Bill Clinton. And here I am, and I find myself in this room with 1,500 of the most senior level business leaders in the country. And I'm like, how did I end up here? Like, what the heck is going on? It was, mm. it was, it was a wild moment for me. And so I decided, okay, I'm here in this entry level position. I kind of have no idea what's going on. Let's be honest, like <laughs> yeah. I don't know who any of these people are. Good I know who you. Bill Clinton is, but like this wow. is a lot. Like whoa, this is like what's happening? I, you know. And and so I Absolutely. was like, I'm going to decide to act like this is my master's degree. I'm going to learn everything about this company. I'm going to learn everything about what it means to be a great, you know, entry level event coordinator for an organization like this that's mm. doing stuff at this level. Mm. And so 
I just poured into it. I was like waking up in the morning. I was watching BNN all of a sudden. I was, you know, buying economics for dummies. I was just really pouring myself into it. And I wasn't expected to know, you know, every policy issue in the country as an entry level event coordinator, but I wanted to know. Mm. I wanted to know. I wanted to understand what people were talking about on the platform. And if I didn't have that knowledge, Mm. I was going to go get it. Mm. I wanted to be prepared. Mm. And so what ended up happening, I've always been entrepreneurial, like I said, I started to keep notes in a little book beside my desk while I was working. Questions I had, things that I wondered, you know, ideas that I had to make the organization better, but I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. I knew I was new. I was a newbie in town. Mm -hmm, Um, And I just didn't know where is the voice of a young woman and how do I navigate that? Like, Mm. is this a place where I could have a voice? And I had to kind of really wait back and see. Mm. At about six months, I couldn't wait any longer. Mm. And I decided to ask the CEO if I could have just a half an hour, you know, to speak with him. He could choose what time that was. I'm happy to stay late, like whatever that looks like. I just had a few ideas I wanted to share with him. He ended up taking the meeting. He could see at this point, it's six months in and like I was there like on the weekends. I was like answering the phones with like the most happy, you know, smile on my face. And um, I ended up saying to him, you know, I love working here. I think you can tell. And he was like, absolutely. We love having you. Mm. And I said, I have a few ideas to make this business better if you'll hear me out. Mm. And one of my ideas was let's rebrand the whole organization from the Economic Club of Toronto to the Economic Club of Canada. Wow. And I said, here's why. First of all, heads of state are traveling to Ottawa, not Toronto. So we're missing a huge market to be able to host those people that are coming internationally into the country. Mm. Second of all, people outside of Toronto have a lot to say. Mm. And, you know, yes, people love, you know, I love this city. I'm from this city. But this country is vast. Mm. And there are opinions that are diverse across this entire country. And there just didn't seem to be an organization that had that through line where you could take one speaker and take them across across Canada you know, speaking tour and you could actually have different conversations even with the same speech or intention mm. so I just thought this is an opportunity for growth for us mm. he ended up hearing me out he wasn't fully comfortable with letting go of Toronto but he started to let me with you know some oversight with some of the other more senior members to start to implement some of my ideas mm. and then fate would have it again a few months after we had had, you know, the banners printed of the economic club and we had put a few things, you know, up on the website. Now we're starting to promote that other platform. Mm. Um, John McCain was running against president Obama in the 2008 election. And McCain decided he wanted to come and give a speech on Canadian soil. Mm. This was the first time in history that a U.S. presidential nominee gave an address on Canadian soil during an election. They were, you know, canvassing what kind of platforms were here in Canada, and they chose the Economic Club of Canada. We were like, we weren't even actually real. Like, you know, (laughs) we had banners printed, and we were, but like, this was crazy. This was wild. And I head up that entire event, Secret Service, dog sweeps, like you name it. And it was huge. It put us on the map. This wasn't a paid for speech. This was literally history in the making. And, you know, him coming. Now, I always wanted to host President Obama. You know, I don't want to get into the politics of it all. This was an honor to host Senator McCain. But I had been watching that 2008 election with everything. Watching Obama. Watching what was about to happen. Was it the politics or was it him? It was both for me. I've always been someone who's very interested in politics. My family, you know, like I said, they worked really hard, but politics was something that was spoken about at the table. My uh, uncles were all union workers and like it was just whether it was 
politics within the workplace or politics outside it was something that was embedded in my upbringing that you needed to you needed to know what was going on and you needed to exercise your rights and so watching also just obama and you know the way he spoke and the mm. way he led i was so moved mm. by this so in some ways mccain was my first taste of being involved in something that was involving obama of you know literally um and so from that moment on the senior leadership of the economic club started to look at me very differently they were like who is this kid well, what's your you, i look at you you're fashionable man you funky like you got you got flavor Thanks. i'm like i like this girl Thank way you. before like wait just looking at your thing and i look at i look at your story i like stories because i feel like stories is more of a gateway into like somebody's real because sometimes people put up pictures i'm like this is too glamorized like i've met you in real life come yeah, on yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. but the story uh, uh, you're not lying Video doesn't really lie, right? Um, I know, you know, kind of saying what you are in terms of Barack Obama and stuff. Have you always been fashionable? Have you always, you, you kind of come across very creative. I was making my own clothes when I was a kid. <laughs> I was always different than everyone. I used to get made fun of because I would really pull like real, I would really try things. Yeah. Like I remember going on the subway when I was probably about 12 and seeing someone, I guess like a raver who was wearing fun fur pants. And I was like, I have to have fun fur pants, but mm. I had no idea, you know, where I I would get them. I was 12 mm. and like couldn't go on Queen West to look wow. around for stuff. So I made them. I went and I got fabric and I got a pattern. They were horrible. Like mm. they were so shitty. Mm. So <laughs> I made them because I like yeah. totally not. Stitch a, it together. Yeah, but I made them and I wore them to school and my mom was like, are you sure you're getting out of this car and going in right now? And I was like, absolutely. I'm looking at your eyes right now and they're so bright. Thank why are these like, why do you get, have they always been bright like that? Like your, your life is like, you're, you're like, you're, you're pulsing life out of your eyes. Mm. Your eyes look emotional. Like you're very geared in and dialed into dialed to in. how you feel. And, and when I make eye, it's funny because a lot of people say there's lots of psychology behind eye contact. I notoriously, I feel like when I make eye contact with people, I'm a big psychological person. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's kind of like before the wars, before the war gets to the field, I'm going to dominate your brain. Like I, I'm very much coming into your head and if i don't go there i'll come into the heart first mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if i get one or the two i'm now enter i'm entering you 100%. so for you you know you, the average person just doesn't have that look in your in their eyes like you're focused and you're bright is that the way you live your life is it just your whole life is it something that you're intentional about when you wake up in the morning and say i'm gonna start my day today and it's gonna be one of the most amazing days ever I do start my day every day. I start my day in gratitude, prayer, uh, meditation. Mm. Um, but these are practices that I haven't always had. Mm. Um, I've struggled in my life, and like I said, um, you know, I'm skipping over chunks, obviously, oh, as we try to get through. We're coming it all. back. Don't worry. But, no um, rush either. This I've is. I've seen a lot. I've yeah. seen a lot in this life, and you know, yes, I'm I'm 35 years old. Oh, same age as me. Oh, we're dead on. Yeah. When's your birthday? 84, August 30th. Oh, mine's April 22nd. Okay. Yeah, 84. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Fist bump to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a year of the rat. It, this it, year. it is. It is. So, like, <laughs> I like it. Positive. There you go. Damn yeah. rats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rats are good. Rats are good. Um, but no. So I think that. You know, you're looking at someone who loves life mm. because I've also seen what 
what it looks like not to not to appreciate this mm. life. And I've been there. Mm. Um, I've been in the low, low moments. I've struggled with addiction mm. myself. I really have. Uh, you don't come through. Do you drink you know, alcohol now? I don't. And is that just because you're, you're so, you just couldn't handle it, not responsible I'm with a, it, or just I'm don't a, want it? I'm a recovering alcoholic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so growing up, again, like I said, alcoholism was very prevalent in my home yeah. um, for generations. Got it. Um, almost all family members were struggling uh, with alcohol. And for me, I ended up, you know, as we do in society, alcohol is so, you know, it's fine. Like it's around mm. everywhere. People accept it. I drank all the way up through school. Even when I got out of the drug scene mm. that I found myself in at 15, I was still, you know, enjoying alcohol. Mm. Then I started using alcohol to deal with what was debilitating anxiety, panic. Mm. Um, and I was finding that if I had a few drinks, I was feeling like I was able to ride out the anxiety that I was feeling okay. um, in certain situations. And so I started using it as a tool for stress release and for or whatever else. Now, fast forward, and I found myself, you know, this is years, I'm, I'm all over the map. Uh, no, this no, this is great. Um, but, you um, have to understand the premise of our show. We just talk, and we talking. chop it up, and we have fun. Okay. So wherever your mind goes, go. Sure. So, you know, I guess let's back up for a second, because this is all interconnected. Absolutely. Once I came forward with ideas for the economic club and my senior leadership started to recognize that I wasn't just, you know, a a, a young person that didn't have anything to say, that I was really bringing valuable ideas to the business, I started to quickly get promoted. They didn't want to lose me. They started being like, how do we keep this girl? Mm. Right now, I was I was being paid thirty two thousand dollars a year as an entry level event coordinator, which again I thought I had made it. I didn't really expect, but I was I was free enough, and I believed enough in myself and my ideas that I was sharing them, and they were being received, mm. which is a, a huge you know um, homage to the leadership of the organization Absolutely. as well. Yeah. And I have to say that give you a, give you a, like a great space to work within one hundred percent. By 26 years old, I was made the vice president of the Economic Club of Canada. I started to do all the new business development strategy. I was working directly with the senior leadership team. We would go into massive board meetings and the CEO who looked the part, like looked like a very Bay Street, you know, (laughs) middle-aged Jewish man who, you know, everyone could recognize. We'd go into the the boardrooms and then he would be the one who kind of like walked me in like that was my validation my ticket in Mm. but then he would just let me talk Mm. and I would go on and I would be you know doing all sorts of different things for the organization that we had never done before we Mm. were starting to do new events double events we were starting to travel across Canada Mm. eventually he decided to run for federal leadership Mm. and so this was a big decision for him this was his baby the organization Mm. he founded it but he had always had an interest in politics Mm. and at the time it was the right moment for him to run in his Mm. home riding what's his name his name is Mark Adler. Mark Adler, okay. Yeah. yeah. So he decided to run for office. And of course, that's a huge decision. That's a family decision. Massive. It's a massive business massive. decision. When he decided to um, to do that and go after that dream, he asked if I would step in as interim president um, and run the organization while he was focusing on the election. Of course, kind of betting on the fact that he wasn't going to win, mm. which is kind of what happens in politics, right? Like mm. it's such a gamble. And he was running against someone who had a lot of name recognition and mm. been you know in office for a long time so he thought i'm gonna try it out i have a feeling it's not gonna go very well but mm. i'm just gonna do it because i've always wanted to mm. and he's you know a risk taker and an entrepreneur as well and decides to do it 
I never believed that he would win, mm. which is true. And I've said this to his face. I'm like, I think we both felt yeah. that. But the thing is, is he did win. And <laughs> on May 2nd, he won. This was May 2nd, 2011. He won his seat. On May 23rd, I gave birth to my first child. Oh. I was nine months pregnant oh. when they finally called the election. Wow. So this was crazy. Wow. I had agreed, obviously, to be president and CEO during the yeah. election. <laughs> I pictured him losing and me going on maternity leave. And here I am now. And it's like, do you want to take over this organization? Wow. And do you want to step into this role? Wow. It was wild. It was a wild time. Everyone around me told me I was nuts to even consider it. Yeah. Um, but I did it. There was something inside of me that told me that I, I had to do this. Yeah. Um, and so I did. Um, and this became, you know, the hardest time of my life. Mm. I was married at the time, obviously. My first child is born. Uh, my ex-husband, now ex, but my husband at the time had just been diagnosed with leukemia. Mm. It was a really hard year for us. Um, and um, when I got into the driver's seat, it had to be a blind pass-off, of course, when someone's elected to parliament. Mm. All of a sudden now, you know, this entire business, financials and everything yeah. is on my yeah. plate. And it's a very different role than what Absolutely. I was doing before. And it was scary as shit. And I had huge imposter syndrome mm. and all of a sudden now I didn't have him validating me in those rooms and wow. I was like what are people gonna think like who am I I'm a kid with a humanities degree from Ryerson <laughs> who like grew up in North York and you know I've seen a lot of things like now I'm the president and CEO of the Economic Club of Canada mm. this is wild mm. like it just almost didn't make sense mm. and because of the fear and the self-doubt that started to bubble up I started to act out other people's biases. I started to walk into rooms and feel like they must be thinking what the actual. So you started actually playing everybody else's game instead yeah, of your own. Oh, big yeah. Big time. Yeah, and huge. I started letting how other people yeah, were perceiving geez. me and treating me impact how I yeah. was thinking of myself. And I spiraled. Oh. And I was like trying so hard to keep things together and to keep the level of what we were doing at a particular threshold. Because at least if I could do that, my work could speak for itself. I was very, very nervous to even say I was the president of the... I wanted to keep my former title, literally. <laughs> like, I just wanted to hide in yeah. some ways. And so I started wearing... For between 2012 and 2013, I started wearing glasses that I didn't need. Like, I went out and got glasses made to try and make myself look older. Wow. Like, I'm being very honest right now yeah. because this was the truth of being a young woman in this kind of position. There, It was unheard of for a woman to run an organization like this. Mm. Economic clubs around the world, there's the Economic Club of Washington, New York. These are staunch organizations that are for C-level executives. My peers ended up being CEOs of banks. Mm. Like This was a very, very different world um, to be in. Mm. And so... During those years, I think as a woman, first of all, I was like, I got to do all of this myself. I got to prove that it's me. I can't ask for help, which is crazy. I was raising my you know, child. I was doing everything that I could possibly do. And I was still running from intense trauma of my upbringing that I had just kind of skirted away because success in our society looks like a good job, looks like a good paycheck, mm. looks like a good, happy you know, family and marriage and whatever else. I mean, these were all things my family didn't have. You think that's, you think it still looks that way? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, Isn't no. that beautiful though? Yeah. The, the scars unfolding. are beautiful. Oof. But I was running yeah. from who I really was. Yeah. I was running from what, you know, 
gone. You, lo- you love it though, deep down. Like I'm, lo- I'm looking at you, and I, I just feel like for you, it's funny. And you circled all the way back to who the hell you actually are, mm-hmm. and that I can see that. Mm-hmm. But you had to go there. Oh, I had to. It's go. really interesting. I had to go to all the places that I wasn't in order to find who I was, and that's the truth. And I let a lot of, I let the judgment of other people dictate how I felt about myself, and I became, I became addicted mm. to praise i became addicted to accolades i became addicted to people telling me i was doing a good job affirmation and it was rough and i was drinking heavily not ever publicly i would get home on the weekend and i would put my kids to bed it would not be you know it, it would not be strange for me to drink an entire magnum of wine like and just black out Mm. Like, and this is what I was doing. Mm. Um, And this is commonplace. I had, you know, respectable adults, lawyers, doctors, people who, you know, were friends of mine who were doing the same thing. Mm. And so it was normal to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought this isn't alcoholism. I know what alcoholism looks like. It looks like the way, you know, my house was growing up. Mm. This is not, I've got the cars, I've got the house, I've got the successful title. I'm winning awards. I'm now getting recognized as one of the youngest businesswomen in Canada to Mm. do all of these incredible things. We were doing a hundred events a year across the country. And as I stepped in, I ended up buying the organization. Mm. So I came in and I ended up negotiating a deal and I ended up through my own work paying because I didn't have the capital, paying him off over the years through the work I was doing through the business. And I bought the organization and I changed the entire infrastructure of the organization to a social enterprise. Mm. So the Economic Club of Canada is a for profit that I'm now the sole owner of. And the, so you bought the business. Oh, I my, ended what up a story. The business. Yeah. Have you talked about all this at length. I have. I've been more public about it now. For a long time, I didn't tell my story because... I've seen a lot of your interviews. I don't hear a lot of that. Although I know they ask specific questions, but... It depends on how deep you're going to go, right? Um, But I'm... I'm right... I'm not hiding anything mm. like and I've I've been quite public about it mm. um, I'm not a household name mm. I mean you know I run in certain circles and people who know me know me and people who don't haven't met me yet mm. and that's it but I'm here in this country and why I'm why I think it's so important to speak about all of these very personal things is because they influence the way that I do business mm. they influence the way that I view the economy and our system mm. and what I did with the Economic Club and the social enterprise is I started to use the profits from the corporate events that we were doing and the good money that was flowing in through that side of the organization. And I opened my own not-for-profit arm, the Junior Economic Club, and I started to work with young kids that grew up like me mm. and try and teach financial literacy, mm. try and teach business skills, try and bridge the gap. Mm. And the expression of that, I mean, the ultimate expression of this passion and the work that I've been doing, like I said, I've had seven national programs that have run under the junior economic club that i mostly have self-funded mm. um yes there's now sponsorship and other things that have been brought in as things have grown mm. um but we've created those programs do you we go out created, and do the sponsor like workout sponsor deals or are you the one yeah, that goes yeah. out and does it um, so you go out and do sales and I, okay yeah. i'm the chief salesperson of so you got you're good with rejection oh god oh, i'm rejected all the time so i'm laughed out of boardrooms for the ideas <laughs> that i've had and we've done some wild things which so, i don't think people even know about like 
We created the first ever financial well-being program for Inuit youth, specifically in the Arctic regions of this country. So what we did is we had youth from all four Arctic settlement regions through the National Inuit Youth Council sit down with our team Mm. and we co-developed this program that was from the voice of the young people who are living there. And my team and I, which my team is now all women, you know, we're a group of young women, we're entrepreneurs, we are using our privilege and our access to capital and to corporate Canada and to these huge influencers to create opportunities for people that corporate Canada might not even have on their radar. Mm. You know, we're deep in community, like in the, in a grassroots real Mm. way. So, you know, I wear two hats on the economic club side. People know me as a very put together, well-spoken, um, seemingly high educated, uh, woman, which is strange, Mm. but they've accepted me. I'm like the exception to the rule. Um, and then on the other, side in community people don't even realize what the economic club does but we just keep showing up i like the exception to the rule it should be the rule i hate that i hate that that too i don't even like that word exception to the rule but i have who's who's the rule who made the rule you know this is a rule that was this wasn't it's kind of like being an expert in the field i'm sorry yeah nobody says nobody walks and says Rhiannon, here's the championship belt. You're the expert. Like, nobody does that. No. So it's like, what's the rule? But this is how we've been conditioned Ah, as a society. Yes. And, you know, the conditioning is starting to break down and we're starting to see some of that change. But I I have to say that for a long time, I was being treated as the exception to the rule. Of course. And it was very evident to me when I would watch other people treat me respectfully and then they'd see my my staff member who's the same age as me or whatever else a young woman and be awful to them Mm. and I thought fuck this like we're we have to push harder then Mm. like we have to do more we have to keep pushing the boundaries I know like I feel in some ways like I squeaked in Mm. here like I don't know you know in so many ways this is such an incredible story I I relate to you uh, how many how many black marketing agency founders do you know i i run my my bread and butter i own a marketing agency at west mm-hmm. and so we deal with clients like ford and toyota and we do marketing digital everything digital mm-hmm. when i walk into almost every event or anything i i, I don't see any black no owners yeah. like well, zero this is a huge sometimes. this is this is huge right. i mean the issue with the <laughs> lack of representation of our black even podcast in canada oh i know and you're number one by the way yeah thank you no i'm excited for that thank you so much and i see why Uh, um but you know i think it's really interesting and this comes down to the work that now drives me every single day it's why i get up in the morning Mm. is i want to i want system change Mm. i want deep system change um i want to help re-architect our economic infrastructure in this country um, around inclusion, around mental well-being, um, around authenticity. Mm. And so I'm starting to play some really interesting uh, projects. I'm starting Mm. to put things out and I'm getting more and more confident, you see, Mm -hmm. Um, in Mm -hmm. a different way, not Mm -hmm. confidence, not the fake confidence of what, you know, money and what a car and a title can give you because I played that game. Mm. I thought that that's what it was. And in 2017, I was in the hot, I was hospitalized. My stomach lining was completely eroding. Um, So this isn't just an ulcer. This is like your full stomach lining. 
which can lead to stomach cancer. Mm. Um, I couldn't even drink water without wow. being in pain. And I had to make a really big decision about my life. Um, and I really believe that the physical ailments that our body expresses are very much tied to the spiritual and emotional ailments that mm. we are facing. And I was in crisis emotionally, mm. spiritually. I had lost my path as a human being. Mm. I thought that money was the reason why we were here. Mm. Um, and it absolutely is not. And mm. the reason why I thought it is because my family never had it. Of course. So, of course. you know, I thought that that meant that I was doing good on behalf of the people that I represent and where I come from. You know, that that making it in that way, that visibility, that ability to be seen, that was it. Mm. Um, but I wasn't doing it from the truth of who I was because I was scared of that person. Mm. And I was scared to actually meet that person because there was just so much trauma I was running from. Mm. And so 2017, so dramatic, of course. So land in the hospital. This is uh, two weeks before my 10-year wedding anniversary. I got married at 22. Like, that's a whole other story in, <laughs> in and of this. itself. I love this. So it's so my 10-year wedding anniversary. I'm, there's something for everybody in this podcast. This episode, there's going to be something for everybody. Oh, gosh, I love yeah. this. So I love this. I'm about, you know, two weeks away from going on my 10-year wedding anniversary. My first time that I'm going to be going to Europe. Like, I never traveled growing up. And, mm. you know, business only took me across Canada. And so we had planned this trip. I land in the hospital and I'm thinking, no, not now. Like, I can't have this now. I got to drink. We're going to Italy. Like, I have to drink mm. my vino. Mm. In Italy, I wasn't prepared to make the kind of changes that my body was requiring me to make. Mm. And so the doctors gave me some pills for my trip and said, take these for your stomach. But as soon as you get back, you've got to make a major lifestyle change. So I said, okay, took the pills, went on my trip, got on my trip. And this is the first time that we had really traveled together in a long time with the kids and everything. Like we were, you know, alone, our in-laws mm. were helping us. And the trip was, you know, things were popping up in my mind. Like you're not happy you you're not happy in this relationship like why are you drinking so much like all these questions mm. in my stomach like hurting the way it was and I kept pushing it down like too bad like my bed's mm. made like I have two kids I'm you know in the middle of a career like too bad I kept pushing it down mm. these little truths that were popping mm. up in my head I didn't want to hear them I was drinking them down and I got back from the trip feeling very disoriented, feeling very expanded from being in Europe. Like I just, I was again seeing parts of the world I had never seen. Mm. And I came back and it was 2017. So it was the year of Canada's 150th birthday. And I had done a very bold thing. I had decided that I wanted to run a program I created. It was called the North Meet South Exchange Program. I would raised $500,000 in capital to bring 30 students from across the entire territory of Nunavut and from inner city here in Toronto. So I was bringing like young black youth and indigenous Inuit youth together. And we were going, I flew everyone to Iqaluit, which is the capital of Nunavut. The flight pass for kids was some four and five days just to get to their own capital in their own territory. And the cost of flights is outrageous. Like people don't realize this, but the whole expression of $500,000 for 30 kids was for me to show this is what it is right now. This is this is how how tough it is in our country to come together. Mm. And so we lived on the land in in the north, and I implored the young people 
to come together to meet each other to talk about what commonalities they shared as opposed to all the differences but also mm. talk about the different experiences and then them they were to create social enterprise ideas and then we flew everyone back to Toronto to pitch we took over the Economic Club of Canada I had C-level executives I had premiers from across the country the federal finance minister and these young people they took the stage mm. they told their stories they shared their ideas around truth and reconciliation around bringing this country together for me this was an expression of what I'm here to do is be a bridge builder for people and use the privilege that I have and the ability that I have to now raise capital and connect with people to make things happen mm. so my stomach's still screwed I'm running this program and sure enough in the middle of the Arctic we have what I am calling a near-death experience mm. we got caught in a horrible storm we were supposed to be leaving the land that day um, nine foot swells waves kids had to be rushed to the hospital after it was rough mm. and my stomach was in fire pain as it was happening the stress I couldn't contain it anymore I couldn't contain all the things happening emotionally in my own life mm. and it all bubbled to the surface and I prayed for the first time and I don't know how long I prayed that day and I said God am I gonna die here Mm. And I got just this huge message that came through my whole body. And it was like, I can't even say what it said because it just downloaded into me this message. But it was like, you have to change your life. Mm. You have to change mm. your life. And I came home um, after this program. My own home had flooded too. And um, my whole basement had flooded. And I came in, a bunch of our crew was hospitalized. People had tra post-traumatic stress. I was so sick so sick I couldn't even drink water my stomach was in such pain and I looked at myself in the mirror my stomach was bloated out like I was six months pregnant I just my eyes were dim my eyes were dull mm. and I looked at myself and I thought no nope this is the day I change mm. I will never have another drink of alcohol again mm. I'm gonna get help I'm gonna figure out what the f I'm running from I'm going to do whatever it takes mm. to use my life for real, mm. to find out who I am for real. Mm. So it was an unfolding. I had to do a lot of work mixed with therapy. I started exploring different modalities. I started to meditate, which transformed my life. I had to leave my marriage. I had to be really honest. Could I stay in something that I was feeling that way? Uh, I, I couldn't. But I had two beautiful children and I have so much respect for for my ex-partner. I mean, we had been through it. We were together for 15 years. Mm. But I was a child when I met him. Mm. I didn't know who I wanted to be. Mm. And I was hiding. Mm. I was trying to find safe places because I had grown up in a not so safe feeling home mm. is the truth. Yeah. And he was somebody who was so normal, like talk about white picket fence and like you know family together and proper upbringing and just like mm. you know like normal stuff like it mm. felt really cool to mm. be a part of something like that mm. um and so here i am now and you know it's 2020 and you have darkness you got the darkness inside you right i've you have i, to, I got the darkness you too you have to have both i have lots of darkness i, mean, I had another guest on which she's got dark dark she's criminal defense or dark dark mm. dark 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 and right. and, and i always oh yeah, Jordana Goldlist, if oh, you ever, okay. I should, I should tag you on each other on Instagram. You love each other. She's here in Toronto. She's a, she's a beast. Like, she's a beast of a woman. I love her. She's a, a show sponsor. And, uh, actually her and I, we kind of laugh. We've been like digital pen pals for a year. Cause she started sponsoring the show. Like she's kind of like day one. Yeah. She's really loved what we did. And 
um, became friends or whatever. So I actually met her yesterday for the first time. And you know, when you like really connect and have chemistry with somebody like text or, or phone or whatever, but you're like, well, let's see if that translates Into when you meet. Life. Oh, it was just like, it was like, I met an old friend ah, yesterday. So um, cool. but she's got that darkness, you know, and I, I always connect with people who have, who have been from struggle. I, I just love it. There's something there's something intimate about it for me. I like when somebody shares that with me, it pulls me in. Yeah. It makes me feel closer to that person. Yeah. For It's interesting because you talk a lot about life. My life, I ran, I started playing football when I was, my mom passed away 13. I started playing football at 14 and that really helped me out. I, I'm a very big sports advocate because my coaches and teachers essentially became my parents. I didn't have anybody. And, um, you know, it taught you wake up at 4 a.m. and do your two-day two day practices. And, you know, you want to win the game and it gave you goals and it gave you those systems in place every day. And I take that into my business, you know, and um, and there is that fear. Like, I, I started the show and it's funny because we were like, man, you want, like, like, what do you... I've been a contributor for lots of tv and radio so i go on and talk about like new iphone drops and stuff like that but traditional media you know i feel like it's definitely going down digital's is you know you know what's up um and i wanted freedom creativity i don't want a producer telling me what i can say and what we can't say and uh when i did this when i created the show it was really to get people like you to share their true stories i think it's really nice to always see somebody's success like in present but that's not what I came for. I come for how the fuck did you get here? Yeah. I want to know that. Yeah. I want to know the dark. Because exactly. the dark is where you pull, right? Well, and I think that, and the reason why this is so relevant, mm. and all of our stories are relevant, but the reason why this is relevant, why I'm going in such depth to share this with your listeners right now is because this experience informs everything that I do now. Mm. And this experience you know, for me, think about this. Think about battling with alcoholism, battling with mm. trauma, being a woman in business, being a young woman, being a mother, um, and also running the Economic Club of Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And think about it's having experience of sitting with world leaders. I've hosted prime ministers. You know, I've hosted presidents from around the world. I find myself at the most interesting tables. Mm. And I am constantly talking about foundational policy issues that are happening in this country. I'm learning. I I literally am a very interesting dinner party guest because I can tell you from an industry breakdown, from energy sector, from health sector, I know all of this. So here I am sitting, having this very personal experience happen in my life. And what I start to think about is how is this impacting our economy? Who else is struggling like I am? So many of us. So many. And then I start looking at the mental health statistics and I start going deep into the research and I start studying what the mental health crisis, what kind of impact it's having on our economic foundation right now. So just even due to lost productivity, $6 billion is shouldered by our corporate industries right now. Mental health, you know, depression, addiction, 500,000 Canadians are calling in sick to work each week due to mental health, depression. So I'm thinking I am just this is a microcosm my life to something that's happening at mass. Why are we so disconnected? Mm. Why are we, you know, using and numbing ourselves with shopping, 
drinking, sex, like whatever it is that we find ourselves using, a lot of us are using things to numb, to run, to, you know, we're feeling so isolated, even though we live in a world that is so hyper-connected. You know what everybody wants? Hmm. They want a hug. Oh, we need, we need so many hugs. <laughs> Straight up. We need so many I mean, many you hugs. break down somebody, I've met, I've met people who are at the top of their game, at the bottom of their game, in the middle of their game. They're, we're all the same. Mm. At the end of the day, if you can, if you can get the key to that person, like even even Barack Obama or President Clinton, whatever, if you can figure out this person, yeah, they got it. They got a key. If yeah. you can find that key, yeah. you'll be, you will soon find that they are just a normal person. Yes, they have done extraordinary things yes. with their twenty four hours that we all get. Yeah, but they're just people, it's and so they true. all struggle. So true. It's just what they've done differently or reacted or their daily practices and things that they do on a daily basis that are very different than most people and they work their fucking faces off yeah. they work their faces off so true period there's nothing special no. there's no secret sauce no. there's nothing special I, I i agree and and this is sort of you know i am a i am just a regular person who has had many experiences and who uses those experiences to influence the work that I'm doing in this world. Mm. And we all have our unique expression of what that looks like. Mm. We all have Mm. something to offer. Mm -hmm. Each of us, you know, your creativity is coming through, you know, communication, the way that Mm. you're, you know, hosting these conversations and all the other myriad of things that you Mm. do. My creativity comes in the way I put together and curate an event or the way Mm. that I expose people to different ideas. And, Mm. you know, the ultimate expression of that is what just happened a few weeks ago with Mm. President Obama, Mm. which we can get into. But what happened at that crossroad for me when I started to make these personal changes and I started to ask these questions around how does my personal experience actually connect into what's happening at a societal level, at a systemic level, with our industries, with our systems, with our political system. And so this is how I birthed my newest organization, which is called the Global Institute for Conscious Economics. Mm. And what conscious economics is all about is about human consciousness, Mm. is about awareness, is about taking those aspects that aren't traditionally connected to the way that we work and do business and saying they are absolutely interconnected. So there's four pillars. How did you figure out how to, how did you figure out how to compartmentalize that? Like, and what I mean by that is it's like, how did you, you, you've managed to take very, very complicated things, in my opinion, feeling and, and emotion and, and how people are doing but then be able to break it down and say, okay, I can create something for this and create something for this. That's extremely hard to do in my opinion. Like I, like for instance, one of the, I, I admire people who can actually get out of their mind and actually articulate their thought in a way that could be explained to an eight-year-old or an 88-year-old. Because to me, I, th- I just think that's a talent. It's, it's extremely hard to do in my opinion. A lot of people find it very hard to to do that. How do you, how can you compartmentalize and categorize or does that take time or is that just you? To be honest with you, I think that my lack of traditional education has been my best what, asset. Uh, of course. Because and your I struggle, have learned, and your struggle. I have learned in layman's terms. That's I so have great. broken it down in regular people speak. Mm-hmm. I have had to find myself in very complex, you know, in conversations around monetary policy and, you know, quantitative easing. And I've had to figure out what does this actually mean to an individual, to me, to a business person. And so because I've had to teach myself, I it's it's not that complicated. 
complicated. We make things feel so complicated and it's another way that we exclude people. Mm. It's another way that we marginalize groups by saying that you have to look a certain way to be in a certain room. You have to have a certain letters, you know, amount of letters behind your name or a certain amount of degrees in order to valid validate your opinion in particular areas and I challenge all of that. Mm. I challenge it. It's my life's work to challenge that. Mm. And so I am Yes, somebody who is using what is very, you know, on the ground lived experience and I'm overlaying that and looking through the lens of business, looking through the lens of the economy, which is where I find myself. Mm. So all of us right now, the planet's going through a shift. Mm. You know, we can feel that. Mm. Look around. Absolutely. Look what's happening. Absolutely. Look at the fires in Australia. Look at the, you know, oh, look at yeah. the look at the climate the stuff. Oh. Look at what's happening with, you know, young people uprising. Look at Greta Thurberg. Look at the women's march. Look at Me Too. Look at Donald Trump being elected to, you know, you know, as president of the United States <laughs> after the first black president <laughs> yeah. his term. Look uh, at the juxtaposition of that. Uh, like, look at what's happening to our uh, systems. Uh, I fool you not that change is among us and happening right now. Yeah. We have to start thinking differently. Uh, we absolutely do. Uh, and so conscious economics to me is about looking at four new pillars when we look at our economic and social infrastructure. Those are people, so the well-being of people, mental well-being, spiritual well-being, emotional well-being. This is actually an issue we need to look at in our businesses, mm. in our economic infrastructure. How well are people that are working mm. in our country? Is our labor force well? Mm. These are the questions. Number mm. two, it's planet. Mm. What are we doing as individuals, as a collective, as an economy to try and stop and reverse what is detrimental damage to the ecosystem of this planet. Mm. When a species is destroying its own home recklessly, the species is not okay. Mm. That's us. Mm. We're not okay right now. We're working out of harmony and out of balance with our systems and with each other. There's so much. It's funny, on a minute base, I got, uh, uh, the guest yesterday, that, uh, she asked me a question. She said, Ryan, because we were talking about kind of our, our come-ups and our, and our childhoods and stuff. And she had a really terrible childhood. And uh, she said, what in your... She, for her, she went to self-destruction mode, drugs, alcohol, yeah. brutal, um, just, just crazy stuff. And for me, I, I was opposite where I just went to victimization mode, but I, I didn't really self-destruct. Mm -hmm. And she said, what, what, what about what you did? Like, why did you not self-destruct? Why did you... You know, you were so broke. I mean, a lot of people would go sell drugs and, you know, get into the court, criminal court system, which that's a whole nother ball game. That's so broken. So and, I, and she's a big advocate of yeah. that. But that. That's a whole different discussion. But um, for you, you bring up spiritually, you know, emotionally health. I always like those terms, spiritually profiting, emotionally profiting, mm -hmm. monetarily profiting, you know, humanitarian profiting. Yeah. Because there's so many more ways to profit in life than just money. And, and if you are going after money. That's conscious economics. Like you're that, talking it. There you go. Yeah. Right. So it's, and I, and I'm not coining that. It was another guest that said, Ryan, she's actually, have you ever heard of Emily O'Brien? No. Emily O'Brien is here in Toronto. Okay. She years ago got stopped at the airport for smuggling drugs, mm. served a four year sentence. She's like your, to me, she's like your, I mean, we're talking like suburban, great family white chick great life mm -hmm. but just was not getting what I, I don't know i can't i don't know but she traveled got together with a kind of rough guy 
she was heavily heavy heavy drinker and she said i just started getting manipulated and all of a sudden like i was looking for gratification and an affirmation in all the wrong places um and uh she said you know now i'm really focusing on she started up her own company she's all over toronto media too and it's called cons and kernels so she started up a popcorn business and now she's trying to employ other people who you know came out of prison and i need to connect so 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 she talks about emotionally profiting and when she said that in the podcast, I just thought, oh, geez. she's like, I'm trying to do work that's not shitty. I'm trying to do work that's actually like I'm profiting in other ways. It's mm-hmm. not just money anymore, right? Yeah. Um, so kind of leading into your social consciousness, I'm like, hmm, the way you're breaking it down, yeah. it uh, that resonates. So the people planet is the two pillars and the other two pillars are profit. So I am promoting profitable business as part of the solution to making this planet better. Mm. And this is a little different Mm. because a lot of the times people see profit as the problem. Mm. And yes, when we do anything overstretched, it's a problem. But without profit, we don't have sustainability. Mm. So for me, I know that all the work that I've done in community, I would not be able to do half of it have I not have a profitable business Mm. to rely on. Mm. Social enterprise is the way forward. Mm. Social enterprise, so profitable business solving social issues is what I believe the future looks like. Mm. It's about entrepreneurs. Mm. It's about breaking down these huge mass, you know, institutions that are, you know, yes, the, the, the money that's coming in, but also the destruction and the disconnection, you know, we have to kind of break that down. Mm. I want to see business be used as a vehicle for good. Mm. I believe that it can be. And I believe in people, planet and profit working in harmony. Mm. So putting it back into balance. Mm. And the last pillar of what I'm calling conscious economics is creativity, Mm. is art. Mm. And so even in my space, obviously, it might not be what you expect when you come to the Economic Club of Canada. um, But I am a strong believer in the creative economy, in human creativity. I believe in this age of uh, automation and machine learning and the mass changes that are coming to our labor force that we're all really fearing right now. Mm. I believe that the things that will never be replaced by, you know, a machine can never replace is our ability to be emotionally intelligent, our ability to be creative, our ability to be innovative, compassionate. These are qualities in us that will never ever be replicated by a machine. Mm. So this is the future economy. The new economy Mm. is a new economy where people, planet, profit, and art work in harmony. Mm. That these these pillars actually build the foundation of our new economic infrastructure. Mm. So that currency monetary currency and exchange you know money Mm. i'm paying you for a job isn't the only way we will pay uh, somebody in the future we will also pay with well-being Mm. we will also play with planetary sustainability Mm. we will also play with creativity Mm. how creative can i be in my workplace Mm. how balanced can i be in my workplace Mm. and what is my employer if i'm not the employer myself what is my employer doing to ensure mm. that I can fully participate, fully be well, fully contribute to this organization as my best self? We have a long way to go to get there. It's so funny in business because I grew up, I grew up broke too, straight up broke. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my whole thing, I'm the guy that literally had such a broke complex that I would go buy shoes and I'd have uh, literally closetfuls of boxes of shoes I never wore when I started yeah. making money. It was weird. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Don't, don't wear this shit. I start buying shit because I could. Yeah. But, but that was the weakness. It's funny though. Business wise, focus was more clients, more money, 
less happiness. Yeah. Now it's less clients, less money, f- fucking more happiness. It's weird. And it, 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 and when you get to the first scenario and you actually get to the end, it, it, there's something really, um, it's almost tragic. There's something really, when it actually does hit and you're like, I thought I was going to be happy and you're not. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's traumatic. Very traumatic. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're sitting there like, what the fuck? I thought this was the recipe. But that's the seed that <laughs> we've been planting in yeah. young people yeah. for how long? Yeah. And yeah. like, it is not, we are not doing our next generation justice if that is what we are showing. Mm. And there are so many people out there right now that are so disconnected from themselves. They don't even realize, mm. you know, they think they're fine. Like, mm. this is what I'm up against all the time. People are like, either people are fully resonating with the message that I'm saying and they're like, wow, this is really brave. Or people are like, you're insane. Like, you're completely out to lunch yes. and, you know, you're not speaking for me and there's no way. And, you know, but that's good. That's OK. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Right. I, it's funny. I, I feel like in in 2020, you don't need a, a media company. Hell, like they're not. I mean, our podcast does just as good, if not better than yeah. most radio stations. Yeah. Oh, it's and I'm I mean, you see, I just set up a couple mics and uh, yes, we have to do a lot of posts and there's production and you know everything. You know, it's not easy by no yeah. means, and I think you actually have to have ability to host people and oh, and talk. Yes. That's a big thing. Fuck the equipment side, right? Yeah. But um, if you do have the ability to talk and ask questions and pull out information in somebody, I think everybody should have their own podcast. Why would you not in 2020? Throw it up on YouTube. Your distribution channels are Instagram, yeah. TikTok, yeah. Facebook. Anybody can do it, and yeah. it's free. Well, it's it's democratized the whole process, <laughs> which is amazing. Like this is it has. This is it. There's there's power to the people, but there's power to the informed. Of course, and I think that that's really what is so important right now. That that people are willing to speak up. That people are willing to be authentic, honest in this very challenging and troubling time that we are in in mm. the world right now mm. there's a lot of good too mm. there's a lot of good there's a lot of people that are evolving that are elevating their mm. consciousness their understanding of themselves and the inner workings of the planet and that is the stuff how do you how do you base your do you have a good support system personally like friends and stuff friends and family i really do so how do you how do you manifest your uh relationships like how do you how do you, how does somebody how do you filter people that come in your life and then people that don't make it into your life mm, a good question because i think that that is definitely a challenge because all of a sudden everyone wants to be your friend when you're rolling around with you know you the man Barack yo Obama. there you go yeah, yeah. yeah like me and Brock. yo oh, for sure. I'm, I, I just texted him yesterday they were having there chicken with go. michelle oh, there, right? you go. <laughs> there you go um but no i mean you know i've been fortunate that i have held on to some friends like i my best friend actually sorry back to that point and i will be honest when i messaged you yeah i actually said maybe i should wait a little bit because i didn't want i, I didn't want you to get like another message so quick because so you're like you know how it is it's hype mm. but then give it two weeks mm. give it three weeks mm-hmm. and then you know it'll it fizzle yeah. down but i think well timing wise i said fuck it i just got a message anyway because i just really want to talk to her and i'm only in toronto for so long and then the, the first day didn't work and you're gracious enough to do it on a sunday so it's so funny because i feel like i manifested you reaching out to me because i was and we'll get into obviously the whole event but i was in a really low place after doing that event with President Obama. Really? Really low. Why? We can get into it, okay. but 
I was in a really low place and I was saying to a friend of mine, I said, I wish I could be on a podcast right now. No. Yeah. Oh my like, God. I wish I could be on a podcast that had a lot of listeners yeah. that listened in this city, that listened in this country, that I could speak and I could share a piece of my story mm. um, because I need to go deeper than mm. what traditional media allows. Mm. And literally not a, oh, a oh, not even great. maybe six you know, hours later, your note was <gasps> in my inbox. Why didn't you tell me this earlier? And I, I mean, you oh, know. I know you're like, wait a second, let's see if it's good first. Well, no, 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 I'm just no. joking. I was just like, I just, I looked, I looked it up, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And then I was like, I will make myself available, so. and I want to be like we were meant to meet. I really oh. think so. So because the way you. you came into this right now, that's why I'm saying I'm like you came in, you're coming in as a beast. Like you coming, you're coming in with something to say. I have something to say. Yeah, like you're very passionate right now. That's why I asked you earlier in the, in the conversation. I said. Do you normally like like yeah. a lot of people don't open up that like well no on our show like we do a pretty good job of getting in there if you actually go back yeah. we've had we have guests cry we've had like big name guests cry mm-hmm. you know and um i love the way you you're so candid i like to understand like how people are because i see a little uh, you know people in other interviews i'm obsessed with people who interview like i watch oprah i watch oh, I it, there's an art to it there really is. And I'm, you know, David Letterman. Like, oh. I take all kinds of shit from yeah. different. Yeah. Because I'm like, how the fuck did they, like, it's how the fuck did you get that person to say that shit? It's a real crap. But it's all just the one word. That's why I said, when it, just imagine you get introduced on a show, Welcome Home. You already are feeling like, well, this is a little different. Mm-hmm. Welcome Home. It's not like a PR person, like, okay, we're going to go question and, six. And we're going to question seven. I felt that energy right through. Like, mm. And just in, in listening to how you present yourself, I knew that I would be able to be within the comfort that I needed mm. to say what I needed to say. Appreciate that. So thank That's you. That's huge. Thank you. Space. Yeah. So the note. Okay. Well, I guess in the future, just send the note when you want to send the note. Maybe it works <laughs> out, eh? <laughs> I think yeah. it's all in divine time. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Anyways, Absolutely. no, back to what you're saying, though. Yeah. So... I don't know what I was saying, but let, do you want to talk about Obama for a second? No, I think it's the it's the manifestation. You know, we I started out and I kind of said, you know, how do you kind of, you know, how do you filter people coming into your life? Right. People excluding your life. Right. So this is obviously a work in progress for me. And it's something that I've had to learn the hard way. Um, I've let a lot of people come. I'm very open. Mm. My heart is open. Mm. I present myself open. Everything is here. Mm. And that is a dangerous place to be sometimes in society. I can get hurt very easily. Are you an empath? Are you like empath? I'm a huge empath. Empath, Like I can walk into a room and take in everything. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, so I really had to learn how to create boundaries for myself, how to clear my own kind of system of Mm. things, especially when I'm working in challenging environments or I'm working with a lot of trauma. Mm. Um, And so again, predominantly the work that we're doing right now with young people is with indigenous young people and with our black community. And there's there's a lot of trauma. There's Mm. a lot of trauma. Um, And it's... It's tough. It is tough as someone who has their heart open, who's mm. been through a lot myself. I was finding myself in the early days triggered by stuff that my young people were going through because mm. it was stuff that I went through that I had never dealt with. Mm. And so it was a really, really interesting um, learning experience. My one thing that I'm blessed to say is that I have a couple of core group of friends that I feel have known me forever. Like my best friend and I have been 
best friend since we were eight years old. Oh. Um, my other best girlfriend. What's her name? And I, Aaron. Oh, hi, Aaron. Shout out to Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my other best girlfriend, Liad, and I have known each other since grade seven. And okay. we are like, this is my family. Um, my partner now who is so supportive and who, you know, allows me and indulges me in my hunger to keep building things and keep creating. Mm. Um, I'm so lucky to have that. Um, and it really is the only thing that gets me through. Mm. And even when people think you're on your highest high, you know, I just sat and interviewed, you know, president Barack Obama on a stage and yeah, that's a, that's a very special, hugely special opportunity. But what I want people to understand is that I created that opportunity for myself. Mm. I created that opportunity. I have been doing this work now for however many years that goes unseen, that goes unheard. And what we did that day was just another version of what we've been doing for a decade laying Mm. the foundation of. Mm. So, you know, I brought Michelle Obama for her first speech on Canadian soil in 2017. Mm. This was the first time that I exercised a new model, Mm. which was a one for one. For every single ticket that was purchased, another ticket was gifted to a young person Mm. because we wanted to have an equal and an intergenerational conversation in the room. Mm. President Obama spoke in Toronto in 2017 with another organization. I had the bid in and I lost the bid. Mm. I went to the event. Mm. It was a great event. It was a corporate business event. I saw faces of senior C-level executives. Mm. I saw a lot of white faces. Mm. I didn't see anybody from the community in the room. I love what you did with the tables. I just didn't see it. I love what you did with the tables at that event. I read a lot about that. This was the huge thing, and this was no easy feat. So... Again, this event with President Obama was planned and orchestrated from start from getting the acceptance to actually executing the event in six weeks. Mm. Six weeks with two of those weeks falling over the Christmas holiday Mm. when people are out. Mm -hmm. They're not plugged in. Mm -hmm. So, and my team, my core team here is six women. Mm. We are not big. (laughs) We are small. Mm -hmm. And this was a huge, this was the biggest event we have ever done. 6,000 people. Mm. We, the most we've ever done is 3,000 with Michelle. Mm. 6,000, so doubling it. Um, I didn't have all the infrastructure perfectly in place, I'll tell you. Like, I, I, it was go time. We were taking, we were going. Mm. We got it and we were going. <laughs> Whether it was built or not, yes, we, we can. Yes, we will. Yes, we can. And yes, we will. Yes, yes we we'll did. Try. Yes, we and yes, did. we did. Yeah, yeah, but we bled through yeah. it. Like yeah. as an entrepreneur, ooh, it was rough. Like there was a lot of things that were were happening that were breaking down as mm. it was happening. Oof! And for me, um, you know, my goal was I wanted this room to be completely different than the room that I saw in 2017. Mm. I wanted people who would not otherwise find themselves in these conversations and in this room to be there and to be upfront. Mm. So it was a one-for-one model for every table, for every ticket that was purchased, another table ticket was gifted to a young leader. And I called young leaders 30 and under. Mm. Why? Because I want people who are in the labor force right now who are young people, and I want people who have yet to enter. Mm. And I want them sitting at the tables with current you know, policymakers and CEOs mm. and executives. 
but it was real. Like the energy in there was oof. Like it was hot and it was hard too, because there are so many competing interests and people and perceptions and things that you're mixing up in a big pot of stew. Hell yeah. Like, and it's true. It's true. You know, people, you don't realize what your biases really are until you find yourself in a place you're not comfortable. Mm, absolutely. And and there were a lot of people on either side that were finding themselves uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is the truth. Well, you had, you had Bay Street uh, at the same table as Jane and Finch. 100%. I love it. 100%. Because I, I was watching this post or whatever, and I'm seeing just the, you had, you, you had some white dude in a suit, and then you got you got just straight up dude there, and then like this is awesome like this is really great it was something and then and then did, and i'm sure and then i'm sure barack he must have like did he did he kind of calm he, did he, he under, did he feel that too like yeah, he seemed yeah. like oh this is different he said he we spoke backstage for a few minutes before we walked we only met 10 minutes before we walked yeah. on stage yeah like pressure situation and he was like this first of all he was like this is the economic club of canada he's like you know, he knows the Economic Club of New York and Washington. So he was like, this is wild that you guys are doing this. He's like, this is so interesting. So I was telling him my story a little bit and just the modeling. He said, this is so interesting. And and he was like, mm-hmm. kudos. Like, mm-hmm. this is really, really different. Mm-hmm. This is really unique. And so, again, it was it was special. It was hard. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, equal parts after the fact. It was equal parts, um, you know, positivity and people thanking and people being inspired and equal parts people condemning and attacking and this is the world we live in right now and I got it both but the difference is I think what where people are are missing one piece is they saw me sitting up there and they think like well she's not a journalist that I'm familiar with well she's like who is she to be you know interviewing the president Mm. of the United States like who is she to be sitting up there Mm -hmm. what they don't understand is that I am the entrepreneur who brought this to this country. Mm. I raised every cent of capital to do Mm. this project. I gifted half the room. I worked with community leaders. What we did before we even went public with the event, Jean Augustine here in Toronto had us at her center for young women and girls with about a hundred community leaders. And we gifted blocks of tickets to community Mm. leaders in Jane and Finch, you know, in Rexdale, Mm. in areas of our city that, you know, these people have been on the front lines working with young people and they got to determine who they wanted to mm. Like we had to change the the, mm. the power position. Hell yeah. You know, this is really what it was. So I was doing that work. My team was working around the clock. My nervous system was holding so much. Just the financial risk. I risked everything. Mm. I risked everything I've built in 10 years to do this. Mm. Um, put it all on the line. Mm. Um, and so again, it's like people don't see the backstory. And unfortunately or fortunately, I present a particular way. If you just met me and I'm dressed differently, obviously right now I'm dressed, you know, as myself. But if I'm in a business setting and somebody is seeing me for the first time, there are assumptions that are made. They just, there are assumptions that are made. I am young. I am white. I am attractive. And so who am I? Trying to be the next TV star? I love this. I love you this. Know? This is so great. You're breaking it down. You're no, trying. This is, I love are, this. These are the You're questions. so self-aware. No, no, I love this. This is the package I came in. I didn't choose it. It's it's the vehicle that I'm driving. Yeah. That my soul is driving. But the work that I want to do 
is well beyond this package. Mm. It goes well beyond, it vibrates much deeper than the package that I present in. I think my package challenges people. Again, we're all asking people to see us for who we are. Do you think someone who's attractive gets, it's funny, let me ask you because you're in a different perspective. Do you think somebody who's attractive gets more opportunities or do you think somebody who's not attractive gets more opportunities? It's a great conversation, right? Because I love the fact that you're like, and I'm attractive. So you're aware of that, but you're all, you're saying that for a reason. I mean, I think that there is privilege in being an, a, 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 you know, standard attractive person. Mm. I know that. I've also, for me, I've gone through many times in my life where I didn't feel attractive because I fluctuated very much with my weight all through my life. Food was another way that I really numbed and mm. I used myself. So I have fluctuated within 60 pounds of where I am right now. Mm. So I do know what it feels like to feel different ways in my own body. Mm. Um, and it's, What are you like most comfortable in this now? This is This is what you love me. now? Okay. This is me like... I'm Did you happy. try to go skinnier than that oh, at one I've point? Did you go heavier? I've been both. Wow. I've been both. Yeah, constantly battling. I've been both. Yeah. And I think a lot of women can relate and a lot of men can relate to the pressure that there is to present and to look a particular way. And I've definitely swung. This is me healthy. This is me. Oh, I'm eating. Yeah. I'm moving my body, but I'm still enjoying myself. Yeah, you look great, man. And, you know, I feel good right now at where I am. But, you know, attractiveness also can be a huge hindrance and I think especially to women I don't know if I see your attractiveness you know what I see when I look at your pictures and I think the first word that came to mind was just really really robust and very um like like a um, absolute murderous beast with like hi which fucking scares people that scares me I'm gonna fucking find you like you know you remember those movies like I'm gonna find you like oh shit don't mess with that person. Um, you know, and I, I just think you're funky. I think you're, you're, you're. I don't know. Your personality wins, man. Like, it, I think that I, I think you're somebody that actually has a, like a personality that it's it just so supersedes you. Thank you. I appreciate Big that. time. And I think that most of the time, we all know this, that when we get the opportunity to speak and we get to, to know someone, we already can tell instantly. But what the appearance of someone is, which is the first thing that we judge. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that for me, um, what I've battled for a long time is that I'm constantly in front of a particular audience, you know, a very senior level business audience. Okay. Yeah. And so this is my context. I come up as the CEO of the economic club and it's not what, it's not the package people were expecting. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest. Sure. It wasn't. Okay. Sure. And so the questions start running through the mind. Okay. Like who is this person? How did this happen? Like, what is it? And for a long time, people really tune me out. Mm. I think they think, Oh, there's an attractive young girl up there. You know, she's sort of the Vanna white of the organization <laughs> coming out. I don't feel good. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm introducing, but I'm, I don't provide content myself mm. is, is the expectation mm. that I'm a host, mm. that I'm a moderator, that I'm a facilitator. But I and my team here of young women are monitoring legislation across this country. We are the ones that are curating the conversations. We're connecting people in the room. I'm doing all the sales, all the business development. Like, this is the truth. And Let me so, ask you, do you yeah. think you've done a good job of controlling your own narrative? Point point being, I, we're doing a podcast right yeah. now. I spend a lot of my business career putting a video camera there, chopping it up, editing and putting out my own shit. Because now if somebody says, 
fuck Ryan, young guy. Like I get all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, I'm in a. I mean, like I said, I think I'm. It's a very, very white style industry. And I come in, I'll wear some chucks. Yeah. My business card that I give to you is gonna be. It's a sock. I love socks. My business card's an actual sock. You know, certain little things, right? But I try to make sure that I'm out in the front controlling my own narrative, right? Barack Obama, he's talked a lot about this subject is controlling your own narrative. Mm-hmm. So for you, I love the fact that you're talking and you're saying, I, this is the work that's went into this. This is the background that's went into this. But I think that people literally have to also see it and, you, and you're showing them here, you know, like for instance, you have a camera following you. Here's a typical day in the life of you. It's funny that you say that because we did hire a group of people that shot it behind the scenes of the making of this. And we're working and editing that right now. And I felt that I had to. Yes. Because I was like, there is so much perception. Proof. Yeah. It's proof. It's proof of what it is. And again, we live in a society where no one wants to believe that that all was pulled off by six young women. Gary Vaynerchuk, love him or hate him. I love this, him. This motherfucker's brilliant. Yeah. He shows you his day. Yeah. It's hustle. Hustle all the time. So anybody out there that's like, like, no, if you're hating, you're just, I don't want to put in the work. Yeah. Right? I think for you, it's great. I think there has to be the narrative there. I mean, my sole purpose for wanting to sit down with you today is to, to actually ask you about everything you're telling me already, mm-hmm. which was like, tell me about the behind the scenes. Tell me how you came into this. Tell yeah. me. Tell me what it actually was about, mm-hmm. right? And you can't do that on a five-minute TV interview oh, or a two-minute, you know, impossible. clip. And also, you know, the weight of the Economic Club of Canada as a brand that I inherited and that I helped build, obviously, but the weight of that organization, it takes up more space than the individual that's behind it. Of is course. the truth. And so for me, you know, when you're hosting the president of France, when you're hosting prime ministers, when you're hosting big name thinkers, you know, all the time, that's where the attention goes. Mm. It's not who's, you know, behind the scene. Mm. And so again, for me, it took balls to sit up there with President Obama. Like it took balls for a girl who grew up in North York and who's seen the things that I have to sit up there. Let me ask you this, your your outfit, how did you choose it? Like um, walk me through the process when you're like, I know I'm going to interview him. Yeah. What the fuck am I going to wear? I, and I know in your head it has to go something like this. Well, I want I want to be taken seriously, but I still want to be me. I want to be taken seriously, but I still want to be me. Yeah. Fuck it. I'm fuck 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 it. This is about this. I'm never going to get this opportunity again. Fuck yeah. everything. Maybe if it all if it all fires up tonight. Yeah. I want to go look at me. You know. Totally. Like how, what was the whole thought? Oh that's a that's gosh. a detailed question that I want to know. Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. So How did you choose your outfit? My outfit was chosen. <laughs> it's actually so interesting. So I've always played with fashion, like I said, and yeah. I've always been influenced by fashion. The time I was coming up, there was, you know, Spice Girls was a huge thing. Okay? <laughs> and so those platforms, Scary like, Spice. those huge platform shoes yeah. that were so in are coming back in yeah. right now. And I love them yeah. because, you know, a heel for a woman, I'm 5'2". Yeah. Like I'm little. Yeah. And so I need some kind of a platform. Yeah. Barack Obama's tall. Yeah. Like I made the mistake with Michelle of wearing a small heel and she was. She's making, tall. She was joking. She yeah. was like, you, you are like a little buddy, like a pocket friend. <laughs> you are so. And tall. she's athletic. Like she's, she's, she's a, she looks like boom. She's like she can bust some. She's present. Yeah. She actually, I was joking with Barack because I was saying like, is Michelle taller than you? I feel Michelle could beat up Barack. Literally. I was like, I, Michelle I, seems taller than you. And he was like, no, she's not. 
because you're not like i swear you have a point there i've seen them side by side yeah. oh yeah she's she's tall and, okay. and so is he yeah um but so the shoes built the outfit it started from the shoes i saw these chrome incredible platform shoes they were so funky they were so me like real me like things that i would have designed did you now person. take those shoes and put them off to the side like they're are those a collector's edition now they're like okay. literally okay. a collector's okay. good. edition good. right now as you should and i got them without i didn't know i even had president obama but again going back 2008 when he was elected i made a folder on our event system in the back end that said obama Wow. And I said to myself, one day we will host him. I don't care what it's going to take. I've been manifesting this since 2008. Mm. So I saw those shoes and I thought this is before we knew that we like our bid had been accepted. Our invitation had been accepted. And I thought I'm going to buy, I'm going to splurge. It was a big splurge. I'm going to get these shoes and I'm going to keep them in the box. I'm not going to wear them until I'm hosting president. Wow. So this was legit. Wow. The earrings that I wore that day, which you couldn't see, were little Obama faces oh. that I found when I was on a trip in oh. Portland. They wow. were like $15 and they were literally like burning out my ear. <laughs> like they were so cheap. Yeah. They, it's like, like turning black. Fucking hurt. Yeah. You're like getting yeah. an infection but in your like, ear. It's so true. Infection. It's so true. I'm doing I got it. my ears pierced too and I've literally, I'm like, oh my God, I cannot oh, yeah. feel my ear lobe. I got to tease out. Yeah. 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 But I was like, I'm doing it. Like I'm just going to be me. I'm yeah. going to have fun with it. Yeah. And I also, on behalf of all of the young people that were in the room, I was like, I'm going to be fun and I'm going to pull Like I'm going to be in between all of those spaces and I'm just going to be that. Mm. And so I went with my gut. It wasn't, you know, I had people advising me like, man, like maybe that's like, maybe you should put something on a little bit more conservative or, you know, and I was like, no. Mm -mm. And then my blazer was by Smythe, amazing Canadian designers. They Mm. actually gifted it to me. So they dressed me and my team. Shout out to them. They are so incredible. Their stuff is sick. Like, mm. I don't know if where any are they of located? the listeners. So they're here based out of Toronto. Yeah, where? Canadian brand. Yeah. I wish I knew the okay. answer to that. Yeah. Um, but Smythe, S-M-Y-T-H-E. Do they do men's clothes too? They do women's. Just women's, and yeah. their women's like blazers. Oh, Ooh, like fire. The funkiest yeah. fire, like best Ooh. fit, like know how to fit Ooh. a woman's body. I always have trouble with blazers because I'm, I'm a busty woman and I'm always looking for something that's not boxy. They know how to fit the body. Like, it's so cool. So I picked lilac because this color expresses me. Mm. You know, Rhiannon Roseland is somebody who's wearing lilac. Like, it's just... You're such a sensual person, eh? You're sensual. I'm always thinking Like, how can no, you're sensual? Layers. Like, you can't... Who, whoever's... Yeah, you're just a... Sen- you're very warm. Very warm. Thank I like you. that. So yeah, I just kind of put it together that way. It all sort of worked out. Mm. Um, I felt great. I felt myself. I felt comfortable. I got a lot of comments on the shoes. I knew those shoes the piece. would be a hit. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. And um, yeah, it was it was it was cool to curate that look. That's for sure. It was mm. a lot of fun. Mm. It was a lot of fun to think about it. So kind of going into what what would be your your biggest? I mean interviewing and I, you you always draw kind of focus back to the fact that you're like I've wanted to do this for years why what about Barack Obama specifically not even just politically like what about him was it I need to talk to him mm-hmm. that's the one I really want to talk to like it seems like a personal 
it's, attachment. It's so it's so personal, my attachment to him. And I think so many people feel this way mm. um, because he represents, I believe, the biggest social change mm. that we've seen on the planet, arguably, mm. for a black man to occupy the White House, a country that has a history of slavery and colonization mm. and to watch that unfold mm. and to watch what that meant to people mm. um it's deep it's, it's deep. deep and again as someone who has always been interested in studying oppression and social justice and change he is the greatest leader of our time a change leadership expert He's a change leadership expert. Mm. I am somebody who hopes to use my leadership for change, mm. for huge change, mm. for social change, for for you know economic change. Mm. And so, to me, he is a role model. He's an expander for mm. me. Um, he's somebody who I admire and who I want to learn from, mm. and who I believe has enough influence and like ability and you know clout if you could ask him questions about some of these themes around conscious economics and get somebody like him answering them, you're starting to plant the seed for a new kind Mm. of change. And this is really, this was the launch of my new organization, the Conscious Economics Mm. Institute. So the Economic Club, which is where I have my infrastructure, partnered with my new platform Mm. to bring this together. So his face is in front of that, you know, (laughs) new company that we're launching. Great launch. And it, oh, it like, Great it launch. just unbelievable. But again, you know, I made some really conscious decisions um, before I went out there. Mm. And I want to talk you through that process. In 2017, I had the bid in to host President Obama and I lost it. Mm. It went to another organization and they got to do the first event in Toronto, mm. like I said. And I went to it and I was like, oh my gosh, like for someone who's been dreaming about doing this since 2008 and I have been public about it too mm. like I've been saying in media interviews since mm. you know one broke. Yeah. Yeah, one broke. so it's like super embarrassing when yeah. it's like oh, well somebody else got it yeah. and here you are and yeah. you're sitting as the guest and it's so fine um, but to be true and honest in 2017 I was not expanded enough in myself to sit up there mm. I wasn't I was blocking it mm. I blocked the opportunity from myself I believe mm. and obviously there's other things that can happen but I was not ready to sit up there I didn't believe as a young woman that I had what it took mm. to actually conduct a conversation with this mm. man and all that it meant this time around I believed that I did I believed in myself enough and who I am and what I know I believe that I could sit up there mm. and be me, mm. which was what my challenge was. Mm. I didn't want to be the smartest person in the room. I'm not the smartest person mm. in the room. I'm mm. not the most educated person in the room. I'm not the most qualified person in the room. Mm. I'm me. Mm. And I wanted to go up there and be me. And the way that I thought about curating my questions quite thoughtfully, I wanted to have a conversation. It was all around future of work. This is the launch and this is the conversation. It's all going to be within the realm of what is the new economy going to look like? Mm. And the questions I asked were around authenticity, climate, uh, yeah, change leadership, Mm. uh, these kinds of pieces. And I had mixed reviews. I've been getting beaten down by some about like who do you think you were you weren't qualified to be up there the questions you asked weren't you know right you know 
or the language you used wasn't right. And to me, again, I thought I am secure enough now in this point in my life. I, I know what I've done. I know what I've been through. Mm. I know who I am. Mm. And I was able to go up there and I was able to say, I'm going to use basic words. I'm not going to try and prove that I, you know, I could start quoting bills that were passed and there's no point. Mm. I wanted to bring people together. When I asked a question about the well-being of the labor force, I asked him, why do you think people are so sad? Mm. I made it simple. (laughs) I love that. I I just love that. It's true though. I did. It's true. And this was what it was. And for me, I don't regret. It's true. The more complicated somebody makes something, the less confident and the less they know about it. Remember that. I'm in a marketing field. I'm in an advertising field. They talk about things like KPIs, CPMs, all these acronyms. Yeah. It sounds fancy. Yeah. It means fuck all. If you put out a marketing plan and somebody buys your shit, it's working. Yeah. Yes, there's a degree of strategy, but here's what marketing means. It means delivering a product or service to somebody that doesn't annoy the fuck out of them yeah. in the time in which they want to motherfucking see this product or service in the way they choose to want to fucking receive it and communicate, i.e., maybe you like the text. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you love video. Yeah. Maybe you love audio. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to go into the fucking store because you have social anxiety. Right. Maybe you want that shit shipped to your house. Why do you think Amazon does so fucking good? Yeah. Do you know there's people out there now will not go to a gas station unless they can pay at the pump? And if they have to go into the store, yeah, they go to the next fucking gas station. Yeah, they they do don't want to see people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And so... But that's yeah. the biggest opportunity. But that was also, again, and, you know, I always believe that life will present you the lessons and it'll mirror to you the things that you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I went through what was the biggest event I've ever done of my career. It was bringing together worlds for me that haven't been so publicly brought together ever mm. before in mm. such a visible way. And I went up there and I was me. I dressed like me. I spoke like me. I was me. And I came off and some people praised me for it and lots of people attacked me for it. And the attacks, they hurt. And I found myself doing that old spiral and doing that old second guessing and questioning and everything else. And I went through a time. I Mm. went through a few real hard weeks, but I come sit before you today. Did alcohol come back? No, no, no. Did did the thought of it? No. Okay. No, No, I'm not there anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm really proud to say, yeah, it's been almost three years for me um, that I've had a drink and it wasn't. That's a deep question. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't manifesting itself that way, but it was that mean voice that we all have mm. that's in our heads mm. that says the nastiest mm. stuff that you've never heard such nasty things being said and it's being said by you mm. to you in mm. your mind and controlling that mind and controlling your mind narrative is to me always going to be the most important thing for all of us keep talking i'm listening i'm going to bring up one review that i got written about me and i'm going to read it we're going to read it live it's the biggest hater one and i want to give this person a shout out but it's related to this keep Mm -hmm. talking so for me i went into that dark place for a bit where it didn't matter how many amazing things people were saying yeah you focused the hard stuff and the mean stuff 
Um, and really, like I had very critical feedback from some of my biggest sponsors and partners. Like it did not go well. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of people's minds, they were not pleased mm-hmm. because everybody came to that event with a particular expectation. The business community wanted a business community event. They mm-hmm. wanted predictable Barack Obama speaking about, you know, all of these particular issues and this is what they wanted. The young people wanted something too. They Mm. wanted, you know, something to connect with as well. And again, everything was in the center of those things because I was saying, I want these young people to come in and talk about the economy. Mm. Like I want to bring, I want to popularize this conversation for people. Mm. So I'm going to choose languaging and I'm going to break it down in a particular way where everybody can connect to it. And that was what my intention was. That was my goal. The way the room was curated, we had young artists. We had, you know, uh, indigenous earth blessing to start the show. We had young spoken word artists coming out of community that were up there really speaking about what it meant to be a black man Mm. in this city. You know, and a lot of people were like, cut the crap. Like, what is all this? Like, Mm. we're just here for Obama. Mm. But I was like, no, we've got to curate spaces to represent people, vibrations, Mm. emotion, Mm. you know, Jesse Reyes performed at the show, which shout out to Jesse Reyes. I mean, I, this girl, Toronto girl, you know, was nominated for a Grammy this year, actually flew back from Grammy week celebrations to come and perform at this event. She is a chill maker. She will give you chills. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you like her music or you hate it. When you sit before this young woman and she sings, Mm. she will put chills up and down your spine. Mm. And we curated it that she would sing right before Obama hit the stage. Mm. Why? What's the relevance? Because your body and the way you receive information Mm. changes by the vibration Mm. of your body. Music Mm. is the easiest way for us without having to do anything special to elevate our Mm. literal vibrational frequency. But you are a very high frequency person. You're a very high vibration person, right? You 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 will connect the best with someone who's very very high high vibration, high frequency, because you you feel everything. How do you spend a good part of your life talking to people that are dead and still deal with it? I mean, all of us are on a spectrum, and but people that you're dead, they're not just asleep. They've forgotten. There you go. They've just asleep and they've forgotten. So how do you deal with those people? What's your thought process? I'm, I'm here to wake them up. Yeah, I'm here to wake people up. The hashtag of this event with Obama was wake up. Mm. Hashtag wake up. Mm. Um, It's time to wake up. Mm. It's time to wake up. And for all of us who are asleep at the wheel, and I was there too, thinking that the whole reason that we're here on this planet is to accumulate a lot of stuff (laughs) and then die. I mean, all you got to do is go and look outside at a tree or a butterfly Mm -hmm. or a bird Mm -hmm. or whatever and think, there's got to be so Why do you think more? I live in British Columbia? My home is, I have an acre of land. In the, the place I live in is called Fairmont. It's 500 people mm-hmm. year round. And then I also have a home in the city. But when I look out my window, all I see is a bear, deer, uh, every kind of animal you can think. And there's massive trees and mountains. And I, it's dialed me and channeled me into life so much. My wife and I both talk about it and we, we've always thought we're going to be urban dwellers you know penthouse mm-hmm. Lamborghini in the basement mm-hmm. and it turned out kind of don't like people a lot of the time so we are in the people business and we deal with people and talk to people so much mm-hmm. um, so we spend a good part of our year where there's almost nobody it's just us and our, our two small children mm-hmm. and we absolutely love it the reviews you got 
I got my f- one, first one star review on the podcast, wow. which is which it was a happy thing for me. My first reaction, truthfully, was happiness because I felt we're actually now getting into a large audience, and so now you're gonna start seeing some of these things. This person, I'm gonna give them a shout out, and I love the fact that they wrote the same review almost from three different accounts. So they put in work yeah. to do this hate, well, which I love. Knows. So it's snowed too. Total waste of time. A lot of people spend a lot of time thinking inside of their own minds. Wow, wasted time listening. I can never get back. Ryan's ego and elevated perception of his own brilliance and sense of self-importance gets in the way of what could otherwise potentially be a great guest interview episode after episode. Don't bother waiting for this one to get better. Mm -hmm. Now, around this interview, around this review, there's nothing but positive ones. And I love the positive ones. And shout out to everybody who writes the positive ones. You message us on, on social media. I love it. This review to me speaks lots because I feel like, and I hope you are listening to this because I want you to immediately know that I love you and I'm empathetic towards you. And I want you to put the same effort you put into this review into yourself. That's the biggest one. The, the second one is I love difference of opinion. And I like when somebody has the balls to give me their true mm-hmm. perspective. But what I really want you to do is email me, message me from your actual first and last name. And then we can have a great conversation about it. Because I feel that when somebody has those types of things, I I like knowing why somebody feels that way. I don't necessarily know if it's going to change my mandate. I don't necessarily know that I really care, Mm -hmm. um, but I respect. Mm -hmm. And I think for you, who's had, you know, Barack Obama and, you know, everybody wants to come in off the armchairs and criticize and say you could have did this way or did it that way. I think it says a lot more about them than it does you. And Sure. And I think there's also a lot you can learn about yourself in the way you react to criticism. Mm-hmm. And what I am still learning about myself and what I take away is that I still have some shadow around my intelligence. Mm. I still have some some shadow around worthiness mm. and stuff that I'm still working through. Mm. And it, I'm really grateful for what I learned and for all the different layers of feedback because it best showed me where I still have to do some work. Why do you think you have shadow? Like, do you think that other people that maybe you do perceive and respect as being like, man, these people are scholars, you know, academic gods. Mm-hmm. Do you actually feel that? that they're amazing like do you, do you think that they might have some shadow too but they just i mean we all have shadow of course the truth for me i think mine is rooted in so inner child stuff is always where you pick up these things right mm. and for me i was never a good student i was a cd student even in the younger grades mm. when like everyone was just kind of i remember going to class i was sick and i missed some lesson around multiplication mm. and I remember going in and there was a quiz that day mm. and I was in grade three I believe and it was your one times tables mm. and I did them wrong because I didn't understand the concept of what they were asking me to do it's mm. so simple mm. if someone would just explain but it wasn't explained and I remember getting made fun of and I remember just these you know every time I would get a report card I remember wanting to hide it or you know getting in trouble or whatever else and I just in the traditional way that our education system was set up I was not being recognized as someone who was bright Mm. although my emotional intelligence was off the chain EQ my EQ EQ is all there but 
in a system that doesn't recognize that and in a system that wants you know your smarts to look a particular way how you score on a test you know how you it, it just wasn't me it never was me but but Rihanna you're the CEO of the oh, economic club I'm, of, I'm past of Canada now. I mean but you have to give it so much more because other people feel the exact same way you do and it's like yo like I mean, every university-wise, a lot of professors or even ones that are really well respected, they always say the same thing. This isn't designed to make you an expert on everything. This right. is designed to really help you to understand how to learn. A lot of them say that. Now we both know that learning is a constant. Yes. I'll be learning at sixty-six, yeah. fifty-five, yeah. eighty-six. Like the most intellectual people that I've ever sat down and talked to, start out by telling me how much they don't know. One hundred. <laughs> And that's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. But I can't, you know, and this is, I think, important for our listeners to hear too. Mm. I can't dictate my mind and, and my intellectual, rational mind mm. doesn't dictate how I feel. Mm. True. Is the truth. True. So I true. know I'm not true. stupid. Yeah. I know that's I'm, true. you know, I know I'm sorry. Right. I know I'm the CEO of the Economic Club. But when that, when you're faced with that criticism and you get that feeling and it goes deep inside, that's my body telling me mm, there's still a little piece of something somewhere mm. that still has to be worked through. Mm. And it might not be 35-year-old Rhiannon. 35-year-old Rhiannon's pretty confident in what I know. Mm. Or I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing. Like, mm. I wouldn't have the, the bravery to get up there in the first place. Mm. I, I went up there. Mm. I, was, I was calm. Mm. I was cool, calm, and collected. Mm. I felt ready. Did you, did you kind of get off though like after a while like when you got off the stage and maybe a few days hit did you did you get a sense of feeling naked I felt like, did you, like no sorry let me rephrase that yeah. like did you like before you did the event of course you're in go mode so you're like well I'm excited but I gotta get the shit done like so you, oh, you're kind of distracted in, in a sense so of just trying to get it done then you do the thing and you you do feel like as you're doing it, you know your emotions inside. You're you're keeping cool, but you're like, oh, this, oh my god, what's gonna happen after? What's going in next? But I'm sure you thought, oh my god, I'm gonna get off and I'm gonna feel amazing. There's gonna be excitement. I wonder if you felt surprised that you kind of were like, well, I got excited, but I kind of went into this deep internal reflective state. Yeah, interesting. And I I know now the the arc that you ride in doing events like this, and especially because make no mistake, with six people, I am not a CEO who is removed from the minutia of what is happening <laughs> on the ground. Mm. You know, I'm all wrapped up in it. Mm. Um, and so I am not separated from any of that. And, and I am holding that in my body, in my nervous system as we're mm. pulling through. I'm worried about registration. I'm worried about the people at the head table. I know too mm. much. Mm-hmm. I know every detail of what's going on. When I came off... Um, also, I'm, I'm exposed in front of 6,000 people that no matter what, if you're sitting up there with President Obama, whether it's good, bad, ugly, in between, people are projecting onto mm. you what they think. And mm. you are, if you're an empath like I am, mm. I am receiving all of that. Mm. So I was all in so many energies as I came off of it. I had to go up north. Like, I, I had to get out of the city. Oh. My whole nervous system was just, like, oh. on overload. Yeah. And I went up to a friend of mine's place outside of the city. I see you doing snow stuff. I You're blowing snow, snow on your stuff. stories or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm like, good for her. Yeah. But she's like, I just need, I just I need to, to play. I need to go play. I, I need to go play. Out. And I had to be around people that love me. Yeah. And I had to 
cry. Do you know what's so funny? Do you know what's so funny? I was actually looking and I, I don't know you, but I like, again, I'm very big on the psychology. So when I messaged you and you messaged me back, I kind of thought I was very shocked at how much I wasn't shocked, but I, I thought maybe I kind of know why at how much you almost disconnected mm-hmm. off social media mm-hmm. immediately. And I seen you adding stories of people who were tagging yeah. you and stuff, Yeah, but I didn't, there was no guys, this is how I feel right now. This is going no. like, you were like, uh, <laughs> like no. you, you, you're like, okay, I, I need I'm some, not, I'm not somebody who can sustain being that public all the time. Okay. I take it too deeply. Got it's it. It's too much. So Got it. Like I barely posted anything yeah. since the event is the truth. And yeah. I um yeah, I'm just I'm doing my work. Um I'm not doing this to be popular. I'm doing the work that I'm doing. I I've awakened and I found myself as the CEO of the Economic mm. Club of Canada mm. and I'm using that vehicle to do the work that I believe the world needs and mm. that's my piece. Mm. And I'm not saying it's perfect and I'm not saying I have all the answers and I'm not saying I'm not still learning on the fly because I absolutely am. I'm just doing my work. Mm. Um, this is my work. This is the expression of that. Am I comfortable in public? Yes. Can I get up and speak anytime? Absolutely. Mm. This is who I am. I've always been that person. Mm. Um, that was the one place that I was recognized in school when public speeches mm. would come around. I would kill it. Fantastic speaker. I would kill it and I would get up yeah. there and all of a sudden everyone would be voting for me. And that's natural. Like you never went to any Toastmasters or anything no, like that. Ah, you can speak. It's natural. And you know, I'm I'm first a singer. I've mm. been a singer my whole mm. life. I've been writing music. I've oh. been in bands. So I've performed. I've I've been up and I've performed. And you know, there's a certain thing that happens when you got to get up whether it's in front of a bar of like five people or whether it's in front of you know thousands of people there's a certain little thing that has to kind of click in you in order to get up and just be Mm. and that is to be like this is no different than me sitting here like you got to do something in your mind Mm. i remember before i used to perform with my band i used to go on a little exercise of being like you're the coolest person ever Mm -hmm. in the world like I would tell myself and just try and inflate myself up and be mm-hmm. like, you're super cool and you're going to go mm-hmm. out there and you're going to just be mm-hmm. cool. And then, you know, you got to let loose. If you're holding mm-hmm. back, you can't, you know, you, you can't mm-hmm. channel through the expression that you're trying to bring. It's interesting because I, I, uh, when we did the show, you know, I never ever went to the, like broadcasting or journalism school or anything like that. And I said, okay, you're going to interview people. And for me, I, didn't really, I don't find it any much different than having a conversation, you know, so I'm very conversation based. But sometimes when people sit down, I, I can see they're nervous and they're actually looking at me and I'm, I'm chills yeah. and I can feel like they feel, I think just that alone kind of starts bringing them down a bit. And I tell people, you know, and I'm just like, listen, we're just going to have fun today. Like, just talk, you know, I'm going to ask you questions and we're going to go there and we're not going to stay on topic at all. And we're going to come back around. Medium, oh, right? like a podcast. Ooh. There's so much more room. It's intimate too, yeah, because yeah. people listen in their headphones while they're driving, exactly. while, they're, while they're, you know, going to sleep, while they're working out, doing dishes, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm happy that you got, because I haven't seen you talk about really the event. No. Like in a, in a detailed way. No, and I think, well, obviously everyone can stay tuned because we did shoot a behind the scenes. Yes. And that is where I'm Which really is great. saving what I have to say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have to, I'm someone who has to process. I am still processing. I, and again, I don't, you don't do something that's that sort of big. Oh. That there being a lot. 
lot of stuff that you a have to unpack but then b for me like the question is well what's next after something like that what do you do with what you just built with the momentum that you just put out into the world what do you do and, and how do you capitalize on it because ultimately you you're running you're, you're running a, a business you need to capitalize on that like well, it's in many different aspects for me it's um there's a lot of changes coming up mm. there's going to be a lot of changes in the way i do things um and so yeah I'm why is that like just because i've you- realized where i've i've realized where i'm still trying to do things for Ooh something else or somebody mm, else still not playing your own game entirely not entirely Ooh, interesting nope. what about percentage wise out of 100 what, what, what percent is your game right now you're confident you know I 80? would say I well listen I've got a I basically over the last couple of weeks I've been playing really low um we, we have events like we I've been out and you know mm-hmm. playing regular economic club events but we've been playing pretty low and I have redrawn and I say drawn because I literally used my own kids like pencil crayons um, I've, I've drawn out a new business plan mm. I've drawn out a new business model I'm making some more tweaks because I have to go to where my authentic desire is what do you think is your biggest um, vulnerability right now what's the biggest way to punch you in the gut that's such a deep question. Eh? It's a terrible question to ask somebody, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I want to really think about it. <laughs> How can it. we mess you up? Yeah. I mean, I think you can. You could mess me up by saying that what I just did was for me and not for people. Some of it was for you. Some of it was for me. So fuck yeah. Some of it was for me, and, but but that's no. cool. And but it's it's the higher purpose. Of course, some of it was I, for you. I think where the challenge comes in, though, is that again, if you don't understand the back end of what that was, mm. you don't understand what the risk profile of that was, mm. and you don't understand what had to be endured. And again, when you're giving away half a room, so that means that three thousand people got to come for free to see that. And those people that were for free are also the people that are attacking you. It's a oh, really yeah. challenging yeah. spot to be in yeah. because the labor of love and what you yeah. risk and yeah. what you put forward and then it's getting spit back that way, that's hard. Yeah. And I got to say, like, I'm not evolved enough yet to not have that really fucking knife me. When you look at the greats though, Rihanna, and the ones that literally got killed, it was from their own group. I mean, I know. It was the, it was the people you were trying to help that actually pinned you up. I know, I know, and you, it's bruised. It's gnarly, know, gnarly. You gotta know that um, if you're gonna do this kind of work, if you're gonna be, I call it the pointy edge of progress, then you know you're gonna get cut. Mm, ooh, so I like that. That's nice. The pointy edge of progress yeah, yeah, puts edge. you at the front, and you will get cut. Yeah. But you're getting cut so that people behind you can walk through that door more easily. I've been getting cut with this podcast. I bet I do feel that because I've been going to some really, really, really interesting areas. Going to different places. And you're going deep. Yeah. I'm going deep. Not everybody's ready for that. Isn't that crazy how, though, you could get like five people that just love it and then five people are like, fuck you? Oh, Like all in the same moment. But we also live in a world right now, and this is really, it's so, this is. 
live in such a critical time and people are so ready to attack mm-hmm. without people having knowledge too without having with knowledge, zero education on what they're actually talking that's for the it's problem. crazy and it's crazy and it's so quick and fast yeah. and you as much as we you know just talked about the benefits of having democratized the media where anybody can come up and anyone can say anything there's also the the, the backlash of that mm. that someone who's from an account that doesn't even have a name can kind of come up and write on your profile like mm-hmm. absolute nasty mm-hmm. shit things mm-hmm. um, and, take and they can no do it three times and they can do it three times yeah. and they can make it look yeah. like more yeah. and you know this is really the truth and so this is the world that we live in right now and I you know, know that and I'm trying to fight against that mm. every single day. I'm trying to fight against that of give people an opportunity and hear people. And there is a reason why I curated the room the way I did. And it wasn't just for the young people. It was also for the young people to redesign their thinking around the business community mm. to say, wait, here's the people that I've been like shitting on that I think are like don't care about me and are mm. so powerful and rich and whatever and they just gave up half their seats at their table for me because mm. I didn't do this the business community did mm. I kept the pricing extremely high on the business community side so that I could afford to do this modeling mm. they paid for it not me they gave up their seats not me mm. so that's the connection mm. and it's like we each need to re-meet each other mm. around a different set of circumstances than what history and ancestry has provided us mm. because our context whether it's in your lifetime or not is embedded in our dna absolutely it's epigenetics absolutely it's literally the trauma of colonization of slavery of all of these pieces are in our bodies mm. still mm. so we need to redefine what the conversation is, who's at the table, what that looks like. This is what I'm trying to do. Mm. And fuck, like 6,000 people, this was big. This was big and this was hard and this was challenging. Mm. And there was a lot of mixed feelings and emotions and mixed feelings about me too. Mm. Who is this white woman up there? You know, you say this is a community event and now, you know, these are the questions. Mm. And it's again for me too... You know, we have to. I recognize my my privilege that my skin color gives me. Mm. I have mm. privilege because I am white. Mm. I have I my socioeconomic background makes me connect with people who don't look like me uh, I see. all the time. Interesting point. Because I have had many of the same lived experiences as people who don't look like me, mm. but. Because I look like I look, when I walk into particular spaces and rooms, I'm not immediately cast out. Well, you're not respect. You know, you don't got that street cred, so to speak, right? You know what though? It's it's interesting because I'm half black, half white, right? So from from an early time, you know, I always said if the cops were going to be chasing me down the street, they're not going to be like, "There's that half German guy." Yeah. Like clearly, yeah. So I'm like, you're black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm half. Yeah. It's like no, like you're black. Now Barack Obama, he's black and white, but you know he's a black. They didn't say the first half but black, half is white. A huge thing, it right? is, but they like they never. You don't hear them saying he's the first mulatto president. No. He's the first half white, half black. No, no, he's the first black president. Yeah. So it's interesting because even in the black community, I've had um, people tell me, Ryan, maybe you get more opportunities because you're lighter skinned, uh, and 
then at the same token, I got to play it straight. And I'm like, most of my clients, they're white. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, most of my hate would, would, a lot of my hate does come from the black community. Mm. Right? Interesting. And very interesting. Right? So, I mean, you know, if you look at my friend circle, I don't care where you're from. I just care that our values are aligned and that you are just like me waking up every day trying to be the best version of yourself mm-hmm. so whatever career you're in i don't care about all i care about is it you know and my circle is very small like my wife is my best friend mm-hmm. um is that every day we wake up we're gonna go at it mm-hmm. and we're gonna go at it hardcore mm-hmm. and it's weird because you know i think maybe maturity or whatnot i do understand now you can only be an owner operator in, in your life for so long yeah when you want to build something special, you you need people. Yeah. And this is why I'm fixated on always studying people. You know, Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene is one of my favorite books. If you haven't read it, read it. It's this thick. It's, it's You have to read it like six times. Mm-hmm. Get that book. Mm-hmm. I know I, I know. talking to you, you're similar to me. Yeah. You will love that book. Okay. And it's all about what you talked about today. Yeah. And he just breaks it down in a way that's brutal. But... Um, it's a, it's tricky because when you lo- when you talk about black people specifically, like Jordana Golis, I talked to her yesterday. She's Jewish. Mm-hmm. She talks about the Holocaust. Yeah. Right. And then she also represents. She doesn't do anything but guns, drugs, and murder. Mm-hmm. She does the highest criminal offense. That's all she takes on. Mm-hmm. Like she's had clients that have beat prostitutes to death. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, just full blown killers. Yeah. And I said, you know, what percentage of your clients are like race? I just was curious. She's like 50% black, 50% white. But she, and, and we started laughing, not because of that, but on the podcast, I said, man, it's so stereotypical, Jordana. You have a Jewish criminal lawyer. Yeah, like everybody knows yeah, in yeah, crime, yeah. hire a Jewish person. Yeah. Right. And she started laughing. She said, no, I get it. But as like you, she grew up in a very, very like, tough environment, mm-hmm. not the typical Jewish person that you know, wealthy family setting. So she's like, I identify more mm. with people who've had struggle. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. This whole trip for me the last like 70, like three days, honestly, it's, it's been like so emotional. Everybody I've talked to, and I don't know if there's water down here in Toronto going on. <laughs> everybody's came on and just said hi and then just released. Mm. <clears throat> like I'm going back home and I'm like, what? what? Like I knew it was going to be great. Wow. I'm like, wow. So the the tone that you set, you create that space. Mm. So you got to give yourself. It's the only thing I want is 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 to get to really know somebody I'm talking to, you know, and and then in turn that gets you know the audience to know them too, right? Yeah. And you have something that's such a gift, you know. So to summarize, how was it to interview President Barack Obama? Okay, so this is my experience. Absolutely, no, don't care. But now I'm asking you. It was the best. <laughs> it was the best. Um, he is somebody who is so warm and so present and so intelligent, but again, like doesn't have to always prove it, show it, like can have some swag, can have some fun. So I had fun. There were some good laughs. There were some great things that he said that I really took deeply. Um, Such as? Is there anything that you kind of remember off the top? I really appreciated what he was saying around authenticity and leadership Mm. and the way that he conducted himself in the White House and that he kind of had this no jerk rule where he really in his closest circle and he was like, and jerks have to be around. 
and you have to be nice to some of them. But he was just sort of breaking that down, which was really nice. He spoke personally about, I asked him, what's the lesson in life that's taken you the longest to learn? Mm. And he actually made it about his marriage. And he said, it's really about the fact that when you're in a disagreement with your spouse, the answer is not to come up with the solution. The answer is to sit and listen. Mm. That I didn't realize that Michelle didn't want me to come up with like 12 ways to fix it. You know, and I think that's a good thing for, mm. for men to hear. Mm. And I said to him, so that's called holding space. Mm. And, you know, holding space is about letting someone talk and letting something come out and not having an answer, not having a solution, not having a suggestion, just letting them be. Mm. And this is something that we don't do enough of right now in, mm. in the world, I really believe. Um, obviously, we talk deeply about, you know, the, the labor market and, um, you know, what are the, the biggest key takeaways right now, the, the, the skills that we need in order to advance ourselves as a society. And again, he kind of came back to some of those soft skills, which to me is conscious economics. Mm. So saying that the future isn't just about everyone here, STEM, STEM, STEM. We have to be in math, science and technology. The computers will do the job of being the computers. Mm. Absolutely, those skills are important. But what we have to start to develop and build, I truly believe, is how to be human. Mm. It's how to be human. Mm. It's how to be emotional. It's Mm. how to connect. You know, creativity is not something that can be mandated. Mm. Any creator knows you have to make space for creativity to be in your life. Anyone who's going to write an album, they don't go into a nine to five workspace and write an album. Mm. It's like, I got to travel. I got to live with these you know musicians i got to immerse myself in something Mm. in order for something to come out so Mm. creativity is what we need right now in an economy that's changing we need creativity around policy we need creativity around economic infrastructure Mm. um you know solving very big challenging problems whether it be you know on the monetary policy side to environmental and Mm. health if we need creativity in our workforce and we know that we can't mandate it what are we doing? <laughs> you know, these are kind of the things. So he he started and, and continued on a conversation that I've been wanting to have. And mm. it was an honor and a pleasure to have it. And um, I liked him. I liked him a lot. Mm. And I wanted to, I'm going to cry right now because I wanted to like him mm. as much as I love him. Mm. You know, and I've loved what he's represented. Um, I wanted to like that person when I met them because I've had those experiences where I've put someone on a pedestal and then I've met them and it didn't feel the same Mm. or there wasn't that connection he's a great a great man Mm. and um, a real iconic figure and that's politics even aside Mm. Um, I just think he's an important figure Mm. um, in our world um, and someone who I feel deeply honored to have been able to share Mm. you know a short hour with in my life in my story Beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Is there anything about him that you think, what was the, def- what was the change? What was, what's the one thing he has that got him to where he is? Like, is there, did you see any moments where he'd have that killer instinct in his look, in his eye? Was there any mannerism where you can tell, oh, this guy's a president. Like, I, I know who I'm talking to. Even though he's funny and he's got swag, mm-hmm. this guy's on a different, like, was there anything that cued off where you're like, hmm? What I was, what I really noticed about him, first of all, he is a politician and yeah. he's long-winded. <laughs> um, he is. I mean, he can really, like, you ask him a question and, he goes, and he'll go. Yeah, he'll like, and uh, go. And go, yeah, and go, and go. Yeah. And for me, I have to say, as someone who, um, 
you know, this is not my primary thing that I do for a living is interviewing people. Mm-hmm. It's part of what some of what I do, but Same. not everything. Same. I didn't know when I should interject. And I didn't feel like I think sometimes I wanted to interject. Great quite you know what? Great that you bring that up. It's it's interesting because I mean that's what every time I do a podcast, yeah. I'm I, I kind of came up with a rule for myself of interjection. Guests don't realize that they want me to interject, and I've actually done it where I could tell they didn't know they wanted to stop. Mm-hmm. But when I did it, I, I just felt like they're like, "Oh, thank you." That's such a good and it's weird. And it's weird because, and I would have to say, like for instance, I the best it, it came from my listeners because I said, "Okay, guys, you know, you guys are hearing me do this from episode one, and if you listen to episode one, it sounds a lot different than episode like sure. we're on ninety, but." Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's um, when somebody keeps going, my rule of thumb is if they've kind of gone on to run on sentence like eight, nine, mm-hmm. it's time for me to quarterback mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of people with a podcast are like, well, I want the host to be a host yeah. and a host job is to guide, Yeah, you know, and I, I think I'm a little different where I, I will talk a lot too. There's some yeah. interviews I'd probably talk 50%. I'm like that too and uh, I like that. But the there's other ones... 80 20 90 10 and it was interesting when i first started you know my my thought process was the the you know the least amount i talk the better it'd be and people are like i we actually tune in for you too ryan totally we want to hear you talk in your perspective yeah uh so that's kind of my rule like i can always tell like if somebody's talking and i'm kind of like if i've said got it yep if that's came six seven times yeah time to interject yeah time to and it's amazing because i look at the guest and they're like oh thank you no problem i think that that's really good advice and i think that for me, I had it in the back of my head from when I interviewed Michelle. There was some criticism I got that time, and it was that I was inter- like I was interrupting her. And it only came from a few people, but I had it stored mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. myself. So I was really trying not to. But he was he was he was going on and on a a few Mm -hmm. times and and so you know that is a takeaway Mm -hmm. that i wasn't fully i didn't know like do you interrupt the president of the united states like you know you know do you do you do you interject or do you let him finish his thought i mean this is the real the thing and i don't know if we even know the answer to that we had we had a guest on he's out of the states maybe you don't know him but if you google him he's like an icon in business his name is patrick but david he runs a show on valuetainment he's massive massive he's based in dallas texas um and um he's, he's an online figure and he's also like he's just a figure figure like this is one of the greatest speakers i've ever seen and uh he had kobe bryant on his he, has, he runs a massive insurance company so he, they do their you know gathering every year but he, he always brings in somebody big to, to speak to the to the group and he's got like he grew this business imagine from like 10 agents to like 73,000 agents in seven years. Wow. Like massive. Wow. Um, anyways, Kobe Bryant comes on the stage and he welcomes him. He didn't stand up for him. What? And he kind of, when he stood up, like right as he's getting to the chair, just kind of two chairs and kind of your guys' set up, larger stage though. So he's walking, walking, and he just kind of went up to Kobe. He's like, and he, he's kind of like, you know, hey, sat down. Mm-hmm. So people are like, why wouldn't you stand up for Kobe? Mm-hmm. You know, that's disrespectful. He's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. He's like, these guys, part of my language, are getting their dick sucked every day. Mm-hmm. You think the la- you think they want another person to suck their dick? Interesting. He's like, I gave him the respect of being a human, and I'm not. And he's and his blood is not different than mine, mm-hmm. and he's as temporary as I am. Interesting. And he get and I could tell, and I seen that interview. Yeah. Kobe gave him respect. Mm. He didn't talk to him like, oh, you know, yeah, you yeah, should be yeah. happy I'm here. Yeah, yeah. 
you know? Interesting. Right? And I think every, and again, there's no one size fits all in the, in the, in the situation, but I think that you always have to know, even for me, when I have a guest on, I'm like, hey, yeah. and I've had something, I'm like, hey, you know, we do a lot of remote. So I, you know, I have my whole studio in, in my home in the mountains and stuff and to my offices. And, uh, I'm just like, yo, what's yeah. up? And sometimes yeah. I got to go through six, six PR people oh, I to know. even get somebody on, you know, oh, and all that and I this know. and that. And are you going to ask questions? And I'm like, I don't send questions. We've had guests for fees no. to come on. I hate doing that. Because I don't do the pre-scripted questions. Yeah, Bios, I never ask for a bio. Yeah. I like a headshot. Yeah. But the bio, I'm like, I could go and make my own fucking yeah, bio. Yeah, you got yeah. tons of information on yeah. you. I don't need pre-scripted for you. I mean, but that's great. I mean, that's no. a great approach. Absolutely. And I want to, I wanted the guests to feel like they're coming on a different style yeah. show. But it's, um... I think it's fascinating because I'm like you, it's a, it's a slippery slide between, oh my God, you're my idol. I love you. I've respected you my whole life. And then it's, okay, chill out. Like, don't be a fan. Right. Don't become exactly. a fan. It, it's yeah. a little, if you're the interviewer, you're not the fan. No, you're not the fan. You are the commentator at that yeah. point. Yeah. And the commentator needs to have enough respect totally. for themselves too. Totally. Because your job is to deliver the best to the fan. Yeah. 100%. And I think that that's good. And I think that was the one thing that I might have struggled with a bit is when can I cut off when he's going to, which... You know, my first take on it when I seen it, though, I was very, very... uh, I said, who the hell is this girl? This is amazing. She's got some balls. She's not acting like this is uh, her first time interviewing the 44th president of the United States. She's acting Mm -hmm. like she's been doing the 88th, the 22nd, the... You act like you just did just another day in your world. I love... And he... He... You must know he vibed on that you had him we vibing you had him talking like wait a second no michelle's not like like he was actually feeling in a way mm-hmm. that was like i gotta defend myself here what's going on here man you know this cool? is the president and and it goes back to your original question of like what is there something about him where you know you can see why he's become the important figure that he's become and I would say thoughtfulness. Mm. Because even when I asked questions, I could see him really thoughtfully thinking mm. and understanding the gravity and the weight of his words. Mm. And that is an important, important aspect mm. for a leader to have mm. to really know that everything that he says and the way that he says it and the way that he articulates it is going to matter. Mm. It's going to mean something. And so he is quite thoughtful. And I've always found him thoughtful in his approach. And what I've always liked about him and when I used to watch him, you know, coming up or watch him deliver, you know, State of the Union or whatever else. What I loved was his ability to take complex, complicated things and articulate it in a way where it didn't feel like he was speaking down or that we're stupid, but that we could understand, that we could make informed decisions, that Mm. we could know what was going on. And that's something I want to do. Mm. That's something I want. Mm. for people i really do there was there was somebody that that. took this little video of a story you were walking out and he was walking behind you and up the stairs have you seen that little video i don't you you don't oh you gotta you gotta whatever you do you gotta put this video in find the video they tagged you on it i think under the hashtag it'll come up yeah it just shows you walking up and he's walking right behind you and uh i think he literally said you like you go first yeah and uh you're just like (laughs) and it was you have to see the way he was looking at you Cause he's, he literally, he's kind of pinning up his coat and he's, he's kind of like, and he just, you know, kind of comes back up and it was just, you could just tell like, you're like, oh yeah, you're excited. You know, you're just like, wow. 
presence behind me. We're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're this is the point of no this. return. We're stepping oh to the those It's funny how chairs are too. I'm like, holy crap! It's that chair seems like a fucking block. Like you're like, oh fuck, this is yeah. the hot seat. Here it is. Literally. Yeah, here it is. And, you, I've, and every time I do something like that and I sit in a chair, I actually look at the chair after. I'm like, wow, so, that happened so there. It was just the chair. <laughs> it's just a chair. It's amazing how that chair feels though, like when it's on. I'm gonna wrap up here. Um, I want to ask you a um, just a rapid fire. I'm just gonna say one word, and you're gonna say how you feel about it. Okay. Okay. Just your immediate reaction. Uh, Toronto. Love. Childhood. Hard. Your kids. Gift. Alcohol. Lesson. Fear. Mm. Um, life is a school. Current moment. Time to time to time to wake up. Mm. Um, and I always like to ask uh, one, uh, two last questions. Uh, my first question is, uh, if I, if you were me and I just interviewed you, what would your next moves be? If I was you and I just interviewed me, what would my next move be as you? Like, who would I interview next? No, what would the next move be? Just in general. Oh, like what would you I You can ask? open-ended on the end. I'm just saying, if you were me and I interviewed you, what would the next move be? Next move for me, if I was you, interviewing me would be to Very meta, eh? make sure that we stay in touch so that we can see what we can build together. Mm. Because I really believe that people come together for a reason. And mm. again, like this is unheard of for me to be here on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> I for so sure. appreciate that. No, I so appreciate like, that. It was so I did think it. you were to say no. It was so worth it. No, I wanted to actually sit down everybody... in person. I didn't want to do it on the phone. You did, eh? Yeah, I really wanted to be in person. I prefer it. Yeah. It's really hard for me to connect mm. over the phone. It's tough. I mean, you can do it, but it's just not the same. Like, I love to see someone's face. I want to see someone's body movements. I mm. want to look someone in the eyes. Like, mm. this This to me is, you know, it's, it's the easier way to get in to timing's everything because I just thought you know I'm like I, I thought I'm like oh I'm probably gonna do it over Skype or something but I'm like I'm coming to Toronto so but I'm like the, the downside is you know my schedule's not too yeah, flat yeah. it's just gonna be busy but yeah. when you said Sunday I'm like let's do it let's, let's do, do it, it. I appreciate that yeah. um, my last question to you is um, what can I do for you mm. um, I think you've done you've served a really important purpose mm. for me today mm. and so I'd like to let you know that you've already done something for me mm. because I have only just met you today, <laughs> but you've allowed me to articulate my truth in a way that felt natural, in a way where I didn't feel I was on a particular budget of time or, you know, I could I could jump around, I could follow my, my flow and you've done something already for me. So mm. in my mind, I'm wondering, you know, what we need to do together now. Mm, yeah. We'll figure that out. We'll yeah, figure yeah. something out. I think this, I, I'm in a, I'm in a great place uh, right now. I think I'm, I, 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 t- I say the conversation, I, I'm a true bred entrepreneur. Every five, six years though, I, I, I really, it's always change, you know, mm-hmm. this podcast came by accident. It started out as an extremely like passion project, but I've always loved journalism. And I've always loved talking to people and I'm curious and curiosity is our mandate. It's our show mm-hmm. slogan. We like, it's all we do. And um, 
I just love it. I just love talking to people and interviewing them. And it's something that I'm just like, I, I love it so much. It started, it's like, it's like if I was married and I had like a mistress, my married marriage is my marketing agency. This has became more than a mistress. Mm-hmm. This is like, um, we're like building a relationship here. This is not cool. What am I going to do? Yeah. And it's a, it's a great position to be in. Um, it's just really weird because I, it's the guests that have imparted and bestowed so much of them themselves with me that I, I take it away. It's really interesting. It's, it's heavy. You know, you have somebody and you're talking to brilliant minds Mm -hmm. to go back and your just head is just hit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't thank you enough for showing the vulnerability and and just telling your story. I think it's fantastic. You, you, as you know, have uh, this is only the beginning, but everybody says that I can tell by talking to you, though, you're in you're in a you're in a big state of, of your own. And I think that the average person would say. Rhiannon has everything together and I think right now you're like no I think you're, you're you're actually taking pieces apart and you are in the midst of putting them in a in a different uh, way I think Barack Obama was um, I don't know if it was a farewell or it was a let's begin no I there's a tear that comes right up into my throat because it was both it was both right so, um, with that being said, uh, everyone who's listening to the show, please go on, write a beautiful review. And if you don't want to write a beautiful review, write a review anyway, uh, iTunes, uh, Google play stitcher. And again, you know, uh, one of the main reasons we came to Toronto is to literally collect our award for best, uh, black hosted podcast in Canada, which again, it would not be possible without our guests and also without our, our listeners. And, uh, we're really excited for this and it's amazing to see how much something can grow. Uh, when you know we've only been doing this podcast for eight months and the first four months weren't even consistent so i would say the last four months have been consistent and in four months i mean god it's really a testament that if you want something it's just all right there um so again take care tune in and make sure that curiosity is always your mandate thanks so much for coming on